Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, December 19th, 843-661-0937. Um, as Huey Lewis of the News says, this is it, right? <laughs> I mean, this is the beginning of the last week of 2022. Uh, if this is it. Yeah. Is that the name of it? Yeah. If, if this, this is, is it. it. Okay. Yeah. All I remember is this, <laughs> this is, is it. it. Yeah. And, and that fits into what you're trying to say there. So I get it. I think it does. This but thanks is for it. the correction. Yeah. At about 6.06 yeah. this morning. No Red. problem. I'll get you back. Uh, hey, rest I, assured. Hey, I know my Huey Lewis songs. Rest right. assured on. of that. <laughs> Huey Lewis and the news. That's right. Don't leave the news out. True. Um, I did see over the weekend where Tom Petty's family is selling the um, the Malibu Beach Home. And when you say Huey Lewis and the news, I think of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And um, the the daughters don't get along with the second wife. Imagine that. Mm. <laughs> I mean, when you see the um, I mean, it's a uh, it's not a uh, it's not a crazy beach home. I think I showed you toward the end of last week. Wall Street Journal has a section called real estate, and in that real estate section, I've been looking for a ranch in Wyoming. <laughs> Have you? Just in case you're wondering, I've been looking for a ranch in Wyoming to get the hell away from everything. <laughs> I mean, if I had the financial ability. I would. I mean, I've told Rev this a hundred times, and I mean this sincerely. I would buy me a ranch in Wyoming or Montana. I'd, I'd live at the beach six months, and I'd live in Montana six months, and nobody would know where I was. <laughs> I mean, really and truly. I had lunch Saturday with a friend of mine, a lawyer friend, and he and I were talking about the state of affairs, and we always um, gravitate toward politics and faith and family and just life in general. And, um, and I was expressing to him how much I don't like the world. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I don't like the direction of the world. I don't like the opinions held by, uh, at least a large plur plurality of people in the world. I read Twitter. I read Facebook. Um, I'm on, um, you know, well, let me give you an example. Um, here we go. Sunday, December 18. You ready? <laughs> real, clear, real clear politics. We'll call this next segment, Why Ken Hates the World. No, I, mean, I think a lot of people get, well, I mean, but my friend, my lawyer friend, who is a person of faith, and we always end up talking about our faith, my lawyer friend says, Ken, the reason you don't like the world is you were taught that certain values permeate society and have to be prioritized. And we live in a world where it doesn't. I mean, we live in a world where we actually celebrate an eight-year-old deciding to sign a medical contract to have a sex change. I mean, that's the world. It, it would be natural for someone like me to not like the way the world runs itself today. Um, the, the nonsense that we're told to condone, the, 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 the lunacy that we're told to endorse and accept as normal, it's, it's as abnormal as can be imagined. And I'm not going to be, and here's where I've landed, Riff, as I've gotten older, I've landed in a place of why make myself miserable and the people I interact miserable. Why, why wouldn't I just check out? You know what I mean? I'm not putting bombs in mailboxes. I'm not talking about going off the grid like the Unabomber. Um, I'm not talking about some some personal and societal grievance that I have that I'm going to, you know, try and execute people who I believe embody or represent or symbolize some of that, uh, you know, some of those. Uh, read the, um, I mean, I, I should be embarrassed to say this, read the manifesto of the Unabomber. I mean, really? obviously you can't defend. I mean, there's no defense of well, his antics. Yeah. I mean, he's a murderer. He's a, he's a murderer, no question about it. And he attempted to murder even more. But but read the manifesto and, and tell me you don't try to, in some crazy way, kind of understand where he was coming from. And I think there are many people, Rev, that, that are finding themselves uh, confused, conflicted by having to live in the world. I mean, there's a, there's a, um, there's a uh, scripture, you know, in but not of the world. I mean, I'm living in the world. I have no choice. I got to live in the world, right? 
I mean, I got bills to pay. I got a family to raise. I hope to have grandkids one day. Got a daughter at USC. Got Gamecock football I'm trying to be. You see where I'm headed? But I don't have any choice. I can't check out of the world. I've got to be in the world, but I don't want to be of the world. I just absolutely don't want to endorse some of the um, some of the antics, behaviors, um, conceptual realities. I read a lot about this um, last week, conceptual realities. And I'll give you an example. So real clear politics. I mean, if I could only go to one site to do a four-hour radio show every day, and, and Rev says, hey, man, we, we got a real strict budget. Uh, we, we're only going to subscribe. I mean, you know, all these are su- subscription services. You know, you got to tell me the one site. I mean, it can only be one. It would be real clear politics. It would be kind of a catch-all in American politics. Just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, the the leading story, the nihilism of the ruling class, our buddy Curtis Yarvin is back in business. Remember Yarvin, the cathedral? Oh, yeah. Uh, some of the uh, anti- for a while. So some of the um, dark enlighteners that we um, had a kind of a week's worth of mm-hmm. discussion about beware the do-gooders liberalism bows out the most unhinged geo conspiracy theorist of 2022 why the gop's tough on crime ads failed what happened in loudon schools exaggeration of long covid uh the dawn of artificial imagination humans will defeat the chat bots i mean that those are kind of the um that would be the the most recent um downloads on this real clear politics site and um i mean it's just I, i'm convinced and maybe I'm going down this rabbit hole too far. Maybe I am going to end up like Blaze Foley and, and Towns Van Zandt and be so far out there nobody wants anything to do with okay. me. Um, but big government, big media, big tech, deciding what the American people are allowed to believe is something that I just don't want to be any part of. And instead of making myself miserable, the people around me miserable, why not just check out? Now, I can't. Once again, I can't. I don't have the financial ability to check out. But if I'd won... You know, we often often, what if you'd won that lottery? What if you'd won the $500 million lottery? Well, I mean, for a little while, I'd probably do a radio show. But but eventually, people would say, where'd Ken go? Don't know. Is he alive? Don't know. How many idea where he is? He's somewhere out in Montana on a 12,000-acre ranch tending to cattle and, uh, and driving a backhoe. And uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that would just be a simpler existence. But, you know, once again, we've got the fight, the good fight, and kind of barrel on in the best way we know how how to bear alone, um, just kind of a weird way to start the week. I mean, I, Rev and I do this four hours, 20 hours of radio. I woke up this morning and I said, okay, I've got 20 more hours worth of radio to do in the year 2022. You're, you're counting. Well, I mean, not necessarily counting, reflecting, trying to better understand, you know, how we can be helpful and in, in getting us to a better place. I mean, we're a minor player in this. We talked last week about, um, you know, it seems that Fox has made its mind up. The Rupert Murdoch um, dynasty has made its mind up. It's not going to be for Trump again. The New York Post, Wall Street Journal, Fox News, which are three dominant forces in conservative uh, politics, are not going to be for Trump again. I mean, they're just not. So where does talk radio go? And I guess I'm a part of that universe. You're part of that universe. Free holds a part of that universe. We may be a minor part. We may be a major part. There'll be a day that we have our chance to help shape the debate. First in the South primary, you know, South Carolina's a big deal. Um, it could catapult one of the candidates or another to a uh, to a better standing, a better place. We will have some role and responsibility in that. But what are the bigger stories of 2022? I mean, when you reflect back on the year that was, what is the biggest story? The biggest story is the stories we don't hear about. The stories the media chooses to not report on. 
Um, now, 2023 will be uh, a bit different because Republicans will be in charge of the House. They'll have chairs of the Oversight Committee and Judiciary Committee. I, I would imagine they will do an ample job in investigating uh, some of these um, conspiracy theories that you and I have pontificated upon for roughly a year, and we shall see you know, where that goes. Don't have any idea where that goes. But, but I think you're talking about counting the days, not necessarily counting the days as much as um, are taking account for the opportunities we've had and how did we engage in these, you know, different issues at different times that are of different significance and importance uh, to a lot of different people. So um, a lot of difference there. Um, <laughs> now, now, the one new story that I saw yesterday afternoon, Lenore Sellers. Here we go with football real quick. Mm-hmm. You ready? Lenore Sellers. The Shrine Bowl MVP, um, one of the, I think, one of the better players in the state of South Carolina, uh, is going to have an announcement Friday at 11.30 about his um, choice of college. Um, I, I guess I've got a little bit of inside information there that he'll, um, the Gamecocks have probably successfully flipped him Ooh. from Syracuse to South Carolina. I don't know that. I mean, who knows? I guess Sellers and his teammates, or excuse me, his coaches and parents probably know. But I mean, you know, a lot of things have happened around that story that have convinced me um, it's no longer Syracuse, but rather probably um, South Carolina. We shall see Friday morning, and um, and the kid deserves to make a um, an announcement um, not interfered with by what pundits and punditry um, are thinking about X, Y, or Z. Uh, the, the 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 rearrangement of college football, I think, is a big deal this year. I mean, I think when we talk about – we don't do a sports show, but we've dedicated since the uh, Braves, speaking of the Braves, um, name a baseball team that in consecutive years traded – excuse me, did not re-sign its captain. Hmm. That's pretty wild. Don't get me I mean, started. when you think about it, that's pretty wild. Um, Freddie Freeman was the Braves captain. He walks, or they allow him to walk. Um, Dansby Swanson is his past season's captain. He walks. I thought about it last night. I don't remember another major league sports franchise, baseball, basketball, football, that allowed its captain to walk in consecutive years. Liberty Media, thank you mm. for um for that general uh, for that favor. And I'll tell you, the Phillies are a lot years better than the Braves going into the season next year. I mean, it ain't close. The Phillies are clearly. I mean, they, the Braves could be 12, 15 games behind the Phillies. They're just not going to be as good. Uh, the Phillies made some offseason moves that dramatically improve an already good team. The Braves have done some things that I leave. I mean, you scratch your head. You really do. But, I mean, it's about budget. You know, the, the Braves are a line item in Liberty Media's budget. And um, I mean, they, have they overachieved for two consecutive years? I think the uh, the general manager, what's his name, Alex Andropoulos? Yeah. Yeah, but I think he's one of the best in the business. I think he does more with less than just about anybody does in Major League Baseball. The Braves have the, uh, I think this past year, the 13th highest payroll, kind of middle of the pack when it comes to payroll, um, but competed for a world championship once again. Uh, but you can't just let your captain get out of town one year and then the next year let the, the captain get out of the ta- out of town. The Cubs are a better team and the, uh, and the Braves are not. So, you know, that's just... Um, Kind of unfortunate. I don't even know what to think about it. I mean, I was disappointed, obviously. I wanted Dansby to stay. I wanted Freddie to stay. And Matt Olson has been a really good replacement. Freddie Freeman on the field, I think. Uh, But Freddie was Freddie. Dansby was Dansby. They meant a lot to the fans. Dansby's a better player than Freddie. Think so. Play in that middle infield. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I mean, he's not a better hitter than Freddie. I mean, Freddie's a great, great hitter. 
But but playing that middle infield, I mean, that's just so important. I, I told the story. Now, I'm going to tell you for what. I mean, I played and in high school. I played, you know, um, third and second until our shortstop graduated. And then I moved to shortstop. And I can remember how ha- much harder it was to play shortstop in high school than it was to play third or second. I mean, I'm not saying I was any good at it. But, but the attempt to play shortstop was a lot harder than the attempt to play second or the attempt to play to play third. There's just a lot of responsibilities. It's a little bit like the catcher and shortstop of the quarterbacks on the field. And um, and just let, letting Swanson get away. Gold glove shortstop could hit for power, hit for average, um, played about every day, was kind of a grinder, um, face of the franchise, a guy you could count on. So, so many um, – uh, adages or adages you could use and and try to explain how important uh, Dansby was and I think he was more important than Freddie because once again Rev there are first basemen on the market that can hit it's not real hard for your old jumping there I mean it's not real hard to find a first baseman that can swing the bat yeah because they can they only move like two feet correct I mean they, they, they I mean we call them loggerheads you know what I mean you can find a big loggerhead to play first that can hit um but that shortstop's a different animal and when you've got a really good one I think you need to do everything in your power to um to hold on to him. 843-661-0937, our number. Um, what is the biggest story of 2022? I mean, to me, I wrote it down this morning. To me, the biggest story of 2022 is kind of in the abstract. It's hard to really get your arms around. But, I mean, my words, big government, big media, big tech decide what the American people get to believe. You see, an aside, I, I when you ask for the biggest story, I think, Elon buying Twitter, okay. which which kind of fits into what you're saying. It does. Here, it, it he's, plays, he's exposed part of that. It plays into this narrative of uh, we're finding out now that I mean, as as the what is it, Twitter file six dropped. I mean, we're finding out now that in essence there was an open door communication between big tech, Twitter in particular, and the FBI. So so when I say big government, that's the FBI. When I say big media, that would be NBC, ABC, CBS, not reporting on the Twitter story. When I say big tech. I'm talking about Twitter in particular, and we'll find out eventually about Facebook. But um, but it appears to me that those three entities, organizational structures, were just just total in total lockstep about what what is reported, what's not reported. You know, how much of this can the American public consume? How much of that can the American? Who do we marginalize? Who do we label conspiracy theorists? Who do we deplatform? Who do we take completely and totally offline? Now, the latest Twitter story is Elon Musk. Um, basically eliciting um you know answers from the the uh, the membership of twitter i guess the twitter sphere taking his um, polls yeah taking a poll saying you know do i need to step down as um as I mean, he can't step down as owner but can, do i need to step down as the um the leader or the figurehead the ceo of twitter um said he'll abide by the results well, I mean, the, and the results are overwhelming yes you just should step down 56 44 there's what three hours left in the poll so we'll know by the time we get off the air today we'll try to update on some of this polling about you know elon musk asking the twitter sphere should he step down as ceo um my answer is this only if blake masters replaces you <laughs> i mean that that would be uh, yeah i mean if, if musk won't, and I, I mean he's obviously guys playing a game but but i think a lot of this i, I need to get back to work with tesla I need to get back to work with uh, with SpaceX. From what I understand, a lot of Zooming, a lot of conference calling. Um, you know, Twitter's not his biggest investment. It's a big investment, but SpaceX and Tesla are where he's really made bank and, and needs to probably spend more of his time 
than at Twitter. I think Twitter's fun for Musk. I think he really enjoys um, the the back and forth of opinion. And um, but but yeah, I mean, if Elon were to step down, here it is. Um, should I step down to CEO? Fifty-seven point five say yes. Forty-two point five say no. That's say that's a route, but that's a big big swing. That's a fifteen point advantage of those who believe he should step down as CEO of Twitter. Um, who does he put in his place? Something tells me Blake Masters. But then you've got the Peter Thiel arrangement. Remember, Musk and Thiel were best friends at one time. I mean, their original deal was selling PayPal. But I think they, I mean, from what I gather, I don't live in that world, but from what I gather, Thiel and Musk aren't on the best of terms right now. I mean, they're, you know, I guess the the, um, the the gazillionaire gripe, you know, one <laughs> half, half with the other. But, um, but and Masters is kind of a, a Thiel acolyte. So wouldn't Musk put a Thiel acolyte as head of of Twitter and don't have any idea. Did you see what he tweeted a little while after he started that poll? He said, as the saying goes, be careful what you wish as you might get it. Yeah, and, and he may and get I it. Don't and know I, what, he, what game he's playing. But, it, but he's, he's playing a game. Yeah. I can assure you of that. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. You know, the article I read, it's in a, it's in a uh, website called Compact, C-O-M-P-A-C-T. Curtis Jarvin articulates... Uh, once again, his uh, you know, Yarvin's one of these dark enlighteners that talks about the cathedral and the and the deep state and how it moves as one. They control big tech, they control uh, big government, they control big media. They decide what we're allowed to think. In other words, these stories are forbidden. Don't let these stories see the light of day. We're not going to discuss whether or not the FBI was interfering in elections. We know now that the potential is pretty good they were. But Yarvin, in one of these articles, says. Uh, I'm talking about the death of democracy, and he says you've got to have some invigorating spirit in democracy. There has to be some compelling force. And he talks about how Congress has a 15% approval rating, but 98% of the incumbents get reelected. And it's a little better than 90% in the Senate. Um, I'll quote here. Uh, the first is that incumbency exceeds 98% in the House and 90% of the Senate. The second it's the seniority system which ensures that sporadic branches or breaches in incumbency produce no serious change in policy. The third is the fact that Congress has delegated its authority broadly to the agencies. The fourth is the internal continuity of the Hill staffers plus the external con uh, continuity of donors, lobbyists, and activists. The fifth is that no one has any real emotional connection to an election beside the presidency, so that Congress is largely chosen according to those who have the biggest budget for uh, yard signs. The six, do we need more? The whole hill is one great fortress against democracy. So the point Yarvin makes in this article is that um, everything the founders intended is having just the opposite effect. Uh, he talks about 2,000 page appropriations bills. You know, the Congress having the authority to appropriate and it would, um, it would normally be done in a word or two or three or four, but instead it's 2,000 words of carefully um, languaged, you know, lobby talk or lobby speak and consultant speak and whatnot. And he really makes a case for the death of democracy is because we're not honoring the tributes of democracy. Let me see what I'm um, Yarvin. I mean, once again, now this, this guy's an interesting dude. He's, um, one of these, uh, I guess, teal acolytes. And he talks about the nihilism of the ruling class. And is this pretty colorful two plus two equals five or whatever they choose it to equal. So, um, I mean, Yarvin in essence is arguing, and a more intelligentsia way, some of the arguments we make here that um, 
that for for democracy to thrive and prosper and sustain, that there has to be some democratic, uh, I don't know, some some I don't know, Rev, um, some some democratic energy in our bones, and everything Washington stands for is opposed to um to any of this. Now, one bright spot, and I read a good bit of this over the weekend, knowing that we were going to have the last week of the year to try to uh, put a bow on twenty twenty two. That there, there's one interesting point in all of this, and that is that. You know, this this argument I make, the great divide, the great division, you know, you go your way, I go mine. I'm going to Wyoming to find me a 12,000-acre ranch because I just don't want to be caught up in all this this nonsense. I don't want you, you thought a little too much about I mean, this. I don't want you mad with me. I don't want to be mad with you. I'm thinking about some of our, our liberal friends and liberal associates. I mean, I don't want to argue with people every day. That's Life's too short. Why would I want to wake up every day identifying 10 or 12 people that have a different worldview and just go to war with them every single day? But that's kind of Twitter. That's Facebook. That's social media. That's the media in general. But at some point in time, he says, screw that. I mean, that's, that's life too short for, for, um, for that. So, so the one thing that is happening right before our very eyes, I'll give you an example. We touched on this a little bit last week, but not very much. Remember when I told you that um, there's this transition from blue states to red states? When you look at net migration growth in blue states or net migration um, degrowth, and some of the blue states as compared to some of the some of the red states. A new city analysis in New York City about um I mean this is the independent budget office of New York City um, shows about a ten percent decrease, a ten percent in other words, ten percent of the people making seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year or more are gone. I mean they've left New York. Uh, about eight percent. I said last week ten percent of this number, I was wrong. Eight percent of the people who make uh, have incomes between two hundred fifty and seven hundred fifty thousand are gone. So you've got ten percent of the people making over seven fifty thousand dollars a year have left. Uh, even in the gubernatorial debate between Lee Zeldin and Kathy Hochul, they made mention of the Carolinas. I mean, when Zeldin challenged her on some of the uh, l- losing the tax base, I mean, he said, you know, they're moving to Florida, the Carolinas. So, so we picked up a lot of population growth. We talked about it a little bit uh, on the air. We talked about it Friday with Representative Lowe and, uh, and Senator Rickenbaugh about the growth along the coast of South Carolina. Well, if you really break it down and you start looking at, you know, what's happening, we're, we're beginning to divide ourselves. We're beginning to silo ourselves or segregate ourselves. Um, I mean, people aren't buying ranches in Montana and going off grid, you know, just to get away from it all that they're voting with their feet. So the, the the state of New York is going to lose about $40 billion in tax revenue annually because the 1% of taxpayers are basically saying, I'm not paying that much. I mean, I love New York. I've lived here my entire life. It is an exciting city. It's a happening city. I mean, I can go to shows and restaurants and live a, um, a very um, cosmopolitan existence, but I don't like working and not being able to keep any of my money. Now, now, the answer for the leadership of the state of New York has been basically, um, well, to live in New York, you got to pay. And what is the fair rate? Remember the question I posed to Dr. Scott Kaufman a couple of years ago when I said, let me ask you a question. Is a 50% um, effective tax rate too high? And he said, that's a good question. That's a dumb question. It's a real stupid question. It was intended to be a stupid question. No government has a right to confiscate half of the money you make by going to work. Here, let me say that again. No government. Stop being. Stop. Stop with the um scratching my head, wondering whether or not they do. No government agency has a right to take fifty percent 
of the money you work for. That's your money. There's some nominal fee. There's some rate. That There's some reality associated with bridges and trash pickup and water departments and, you know, public service or, excuse me, public safety. I mean, sure, there's a bill there and somebody's got to foot the bill. But one half of all the money we make goes to fund these wonderful programs in some of these liberal municipalities and states. Well, the um, the what we're finding right now that people are moving away from blue states into into red states. Um, Missouri, I mean, w- when you look at the um, the division in America, let, let's do this for an example. I mean, this is kind of off the beaten path, but environmental social governance. You know, the uh, the ESG requirements and some of these funds, BlackRock in particular. I mean, BlackRock got in bed with green energy. BlackRock saw an opportunity to make a lot of money off green energy, but they never imagined that the state of Arizona would take $600 million away from BlackRock. They did. Uh, Missouri, $500 million away. They did. Louisiana, $800 million. And most recently, the state of Florida has taken $2 billion away from BlackRock. Now, any other business, they'd fold their doors and go home, right? Fold the chairs, close the doors, and call it quits. I mean, that's $600 million, $500 million, $800 million, $2 billion. But BlackRock is such a huge company, they can withstand, you know, three, four, roughly $4 billion of withdrawals made from some of their accounts. And I'm talking about state retirement funds in the name of um, not being fiduciary responsible by not investing in fossil fuel industries, despite fossil fuel industries having a good um, 2022 uh, when it comes to Exxon or BP or Shell or some of these other um, behemoths of fossil fuel. So we're beginning to vote with our feet. I mean, we're, we're beginning to be proactive in um, navigating some of these complexities. Uh, the state of Florida is governed by a Republican. The state of Louisiana governed by a Republican, the state of Missouri governed by a Republican. Arizona, a little bit different. I don't quite understand Arizona. But Arizona and, and some of their retirement plans have made a, um, a decision to not invest in BlackRock because they don't feel they're getting the most bang for their buck by f- refusing to participate in businesses that BlackRock has. I basically agreed with the federal government by saying some of these environmental social governance standards are um, – are causing us to not get a premium rate of return that we need to be getting on our um, on some of these retirement accounts. So when you look at New York and you look at some of these other states and cities that are seeing mass exoduses, and then you see BlackRock, who had about two, two point eight, three, uh, roughly four billion dollars withdrawn from some of their accounts. I mean, isn't that kind of a division? I mean, aren't we dividing ourselves? I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm moving to Wyoming to get away from it all. But I mean, in, in all of these states, we're seeing we're, the, the line of demarcation is becoming clearer and clearer. You know, the, the, the blue state way of thinking, the red state way of thinking. And I don't think it's going to require what I've always said, you know, build a fence in the middle of the country. If you believe in conservative government, limited government, lower taxes, you live here. If you don't, you live on the other side. And uh, we're not going to have a gate. I mean, to leave one side in preference to the other, you got to jump the fence, so to speak. Um, wonder which side would, um, would be jumping from one to the other. Well, it seems to me that the country's beginning to do that on its own, that these retirement funds are saying, I'm not investing in BlackRock because they're buying into this gobbledygook of the federal government, and it's not in my membership's best interest. So I'm taking this money out. 
and reinvesting somewhere else. And I think DeSantis has been probably the um, the greatest example of <sighs> proactive leadership, and 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 you know trying to and he's gained a lot of um uh, notoriety from the, sure. uh, the the people looking for a less Trumpy Trump. You know, one of the the people who are looking for a uh, a more inspired America First movement without the the downside of um and then the polling shows that there's a lot of downside to Trump. I put something on Twitter over the weekend that um that I thought a lot about. I went to a party Friday night, went to a birthday party for a brother-in-law and uh, sat around a fire. My middle kid said, you know, I've heard you say these things the last couple of weeks about Trump, but if we abandon Trump, aren't we doing exactly what the media, uh, in other words, when you, when I say that big tech, big government, big, uh, big media decided what the American people can hear, see, and believe, I mean, aren't you kind of lumping all of us in that same category? Yeah, it's been their goal since the day Trump came down. Well, the have they succeeded? I mean, have they succeeded? I mean, when people like me begin to say, and, and I have a medium, I have a forum, I have an audience. When people like me begin to say, hey, let's look around and find something a little less controversial. I mean, am I giving in to exactly what big media, big tech, and big government wanted us Which to do? Which is why I resist that. I mean, you asked me the other well, day me, you, who, if well, I would still the, vote for Trump if he's on the ballot, and of course I would. And, and, the and word, that's why I resist. But the word my son used was kind of incriminating. I was abandoned. I mean, you know, that, that's that's a pretty good word. I mean, are we going to yeah. abandon? I mean, can we remain America first and abandon Donald Trump? That's a fair question. I mean, that's a very fair debate. I think we can, but 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 a lot don't. But but we would agree that big tech, big media, big government, their 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 motivation was to drive a wedge between the Trump voter and Trump himself. So they tell us how narcissistic it is, or he is, how unelectable he is, how big a drag on the Republican ticket he has been. And we hear that over and over and over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, all of us say, you know, they're right to some degree. So let's start looking for, around for somebody who's America first, but not quite as um, as volatile, as controversial, as uh, much of a drag on the Republican Republican brand. If Trump truly were as full of himself as the media says he is, Trump would run as a third party and the Republicans wouldn't win a presidential election for the rest of my lifetime. I mean, really and truly, when you think about it, I mean, if, if Trump were totally and completely vindictive, I mean, he would run as a third party and Republicans would not win another presidential election for as long as um as I'm alive. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. The majority of what will, I mean, the, the early part of next year will be centered on the Republican primary and whether or not Joe Biden is going to run again. By early spring, um, candidates will have had to have their organizations in place. I mean, I heard over the weekend that Nikki Haley's already hired a lot of people. I mean, that's kind of generic and broad and, and doesn't, I mean, it doesn't go into specifics at all. But I heard over the weekend from some political operatives that Nikki's hired a bunch of people, quote unquote. Um, Trump staying in is the best thing for DeSantis. Because if Trump stays in, there's nobody else but DeSantis that can take on Trump with some of the Trump voters, right? I mean, we, we I know that. that. I mean, the polling's clear there. Um, see, to me, it may have already transitioned into an anybody 
Um, in other words, Trump and everybody else. I mean, that's the way we historically thought we would look at it. I think it's DeSantis and everybody else now. I mean, I think DeSantis has a edge over Trump in a primary that's fairly substantial as we speak. I do believe, now whether we did it or they did it, I do believe there's been a wedge dividing the Trump voter and the, I mean, there's still the Trump loyalist, no question about it, but it's a, um, it's a smaller plurality than the America first loyalist. The Trump loyalist is probably 20, 22, 23, 24, maybe 25%. The America first loyalist is 66%. So if Trump's getting about 25% of the 66%, then somebody else is getting a lot more. And it's not going to be Mike Pence. It's not going to be, I mean, Nikki may get some of that. Um, I would imagine, I'm thinking of somebody else, like Pompeo may get a little bit of that. But the majority of America first, that 66% that we talk a lot about, the majority of that, the line share of that is going to be divided between Trump and DeSantis. And where is that fault line? Well, it looks to me, as some of the recent polling shows, that uh, the America first slash MAGA movement, was, I mean, it remains incredibly strong, no question about it. But its allegiance seems to be shifting to DeSantis in a fairly sizable or by a fairly sizable margin. So um, so I think Trump staying in is good for DeSantis because if somebody wants to try and run and kind of out-Trump Trump, I mean, there's no way to do that. DeSantis is the only um, one that has um, – I mean, it, it, what I'm saying, Rev, is it looks to me like it was everyone versus Trump, but now it's everyone versus DeSantis. I think DeSantis has clearly made himself the uh, prohibitive favorite. And when you look at the odds makers, I mean, I saw this over the weekend in London – I mean, DeSantis is a more likely choice of Republican voters. I really wish those two would join forces. I know it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But I, mean, I it, wish they would. Well, I mean, I, I get wishful thinking. You know, <laughs> I wish a lot of things. <laughs> I wish I could move to Montana and live on a ranch. Yeah. But I can't because i got to work and make a living. Um, I, I get that. Well, who would you want top of the ticket, DeSantis or Trump? Had to be Trump. But how do you do that when DeSantis is out polling Trump in every major um metric well i didn't say it'd be easy well, I mean, but you see what i'm saying yeah. you, you're asking for the guy that looks to be the heir apparent to basically wait his turn and kiss the ring one more time for trump when there's no reason to do that i mean if trump and desantis were both at about 25 or 6 percent you could have that conversation but every poll i've seen in the last 30 days ah, last 15 days has desantis with a big lead over trump i'm talking about 12 13 14 15 points and for the first time since Trump has showed, I mean, I mean, Trump caught fire in the 16, and we knew nobody was going to challenge him at the 2020 primary. Uh, but but since then, I mean, it's been everybody but Trump or anyone, everyone against Trump. And now it looks like it's everyone against um, DeSantis. Now, how would DeSantis perform? And, and DeSantis has not even announced. Right. I mean, he's not even said, I'm a declared candidate for president. I mean, he's made a lot of rumblings. And he's put together some exploratory, not a committee. I mean, he still has not formed an exploratory committee, but he's have a, he has a lot of soft feelers out there trying to sense or test the waters as to what the um, what his strength would be in some of these early states. And um, uh, we, we shall see. You know, don't don't have any idea, but it looks like, from my perspective, that he has co-opted a, a lot of the Trump base, and that's about sixty six percent of the vote. I mean, it's America first. It's two to one. No matter what the, the mainstream media says, no matter what the National Review tries to write, no matter what the, um, you know, the Rupert Murdoch empire says, I mean, it's still uh, a party overwhelmingly dominated 
by the America First mindset. So where do we go from here? Don't have any idea. But but the the, the word, um, you know, the, the separation that the media has tried to get from Trump and his voters, um, I mean, it's been intense. I mean, it's, it's we the, the Trump voter has been an unbelievably loyal supporter of Trump until now. And it looks to me like they're kind of appealing away. I don't think the media was as big a factor as Trump himself. I think Trump drove people away more than the media convinced people to move away. 843-661-0937. Got a call? Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. Hey, guys. Uh, I was going to make one comment. If you don't mind, I was going to wait till after the um, commercial to make the other one. But, okay, uh, sure. One thing I want to say, you know, kid, your son was dead on. Isn't it amazing how we've allowed the Democrat fascist, godless fascist, communist, low-life scumbags to tell us, in the spirit of Christmas, to tell us what to do. They tell us everything. And we say, oh, okay, we'll do it. The Democrats tell us who we should vote for and who we should nominate for be our Republican nominee, and we do it. The Democrats sit there and they tell us that we should wear masks and we should get vaccinated and we should close out our businesses, and we do it. The Democrats tell us we should accept gay marriages in the churches, and if the churches don't do it, then the churches get get all get in trouble, and we do it. The Democrats tell us we should accept a, a guy dressed as a girl stealing lingerie from some old lady. Hold on, hold on to that, Bruce. we got a hard break. Top of the hour, we'll get back to you on the other side. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. Our number, someone's there. Let's go to the phone. It's Breeze. Hey, Breeze. But anyway, kid, you know, getting back to what I was saying about the Democrats, um, the reason I'm almost always right is not that I'm that daggone smart. I guess the only thing smart about me is to realize that everything they say is a lie and no, and no advice they give me is good for me. And that's, and that's just it. I mean, when they tell you that you don't want them to vote for this candidate because this candidate is bad for the Republican Party, you need to vote for him. You know, if they, whatever they have said, when they talked about the Steele dossier, and I remember I was out in front of Firestone in Florence when it first came out, and I said it was probably the Democrats probably wrote the thing. Uh, I said, it's probably the Democrats that did it, and it wasn't anything to do with the Russian collusion. It was probably Democrat collusion. And I was right. Not that I was that smart. I just needed everything out of their mouth was a lie. So, every, so they keep playing us, and we are just foolish enough to fall apart. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Saturday. I went to the hospital to see a, a, a friend of mine who was dying. He's in his 80s. And I was walking through the hospital, and I noticed that there were a lot of people on that floor. It must have been a floor, frankly, reserved for people that were dying. Nearly everyone in there was old, and you could see family members in there, and you could tell a lot of these people were dying. And then it just hit me that we allowed for years, I don't know, was it two years or at least a good year, we allowed somebody or some or some or some or some entity to make it aware, kid, if your sons or my sons, if your wife or my wife, if your grandma or granddaddy, mama or daddy, whoever it would have been, your closest, closest family member would have died.
died in that hospital all alone. You're you're familiar with that happening, correct? Correct. I would like for somebody to have the cojones to ask who was in charge of making sure that if my mother died or my wife died or my sister or brother died or my child died, I would like to know who the dirty, no good SOB was that told me and made my made someone's parents or someone's loved ones die alone in the hospital. And I'd like for that person to have the cojones to daggone explain to us how that was a good thing. After we found out that nearly everything about COVID was a damn lie. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Let, let's stay there for a second because I think this is pretty interesting. Um, what is the most important thing we could find from the Twitter file? I mean, let, let, let's take two things because I believe this is what... Um, because supposedly the Fauci files portion of the Twitter files are still to come. We think they're still to come. Right. We don't know that. We think they're still to come. Um, but is that more important? I mean, if you're out there, if you're a consumer of political news and you're trying to be unbiased, you're trying to be non-prejudiced, you're trying to understand things as they present themselves, are you more interested, I'll ask you, Reb, are you more interested in the origin of COVID or how interactive the FBI was with big tech? Uh, they're both so important. But, but I mean, I, what are you more interested in? I think we have to get to the bottom of COVID. Okay. We do. So so, so the, stick with me for a second, because mm-hmm. I'm kind of leading you along here. So there was the, so much consequence to that for the world. But so, so there's a bigger story out there for you than whether the FBI coordinated with big tech to meddle in a presidential election. Yeah, I'm, I'm torn because but, I mean, that, I'm that saying, is so important. And that, that's what I'm saying, guys. Yeah. I mean, that, this is where we are today. I mean, we, we have normalized. Well, not normalized. We've accepted. Because you can't let that stand. You can't let the FBI, whatever they did to coordinate with Twitter, however it may have affected the 2020 election, you just can't let that well, stand. I, mean, I, don't know that it, I don't know that it affected the outcome of the election. Right. I mean, we'll never however know that. However it may or if it but, did. But it doesn't matter. To me, that doesn't matter. I mean, I had friends of mine say, well, it didn't change the outcome. Did it? Okay. Um. Okay, you're right. FBI went to see Twitter more than they probably should have. They coordinated or communicated with Twitter more than they probably should have, but it still didn't affect the outcome of the election. I mean, Trump's still Trump. He drove away voters. He was divisive. He was, um, you know, yeah, he's got a lot of loyal supporters, but he's got at least as many who will go vote against him. So he got what he deserved. It doesn't matter. None of that matters to me. It doesn't matter who the president of the United States is. Forget Biden and Trump for a second. I mean, if you're an American citizen and you're okay, in any way, shape, or form, with the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, reaching out to Twitter and convincing them or trying to convince them that one story is more believable than another story. And I mean, that's bizarre to me that we are as a people okay with that happening because Trump was so, um, you know, just just repugnant and, um, you know, unqualified and all these. I mean, I've heard all the, none of that matters to me. None of that matters to me. And I'll tell you, as much as I'd love to know the origin of COVID and as much as, much as I'd love to prove Fauci to be a an arrogant liar, I'm more interested in the FBI and what their role and responsibilities were. We're not going to have many more pandemics, I don't think. I mean, those are once every now and then. We have elections every two years. And it seemed True. to me that the FBI was very comfortable in reaching out to Twitter 
Um, even, what's his name, Yul Roth? I mean, even he said uh, over the weekend it was revealed in one of the tweets or one of the internal communications that, um, I mean, he was a bit bothered by how um, how cavalier the FBI was in reaching out to Twitter to um, ask them to be on board with a certain agenda item or not. But I want to go back to, uh, to, to the Fauci story because we have argued, um, we, we've argued what Fauci knew, what he didn't know, um, when did he know it. Um, I mean, I think he's, I think, I think it's pretty easy to prove that he lied to Congress by saying that they've never funded gain of research, uh, gain of function research. I mean, we know that now to be, I mean, that's splitting hairs at best. I mean, that's what the definition of is, is. Um, now, now, he'll argue because he's Fauci and nobody challenges um, Dr. Fauci. But, but, but I still believe the Twitter story is the bigger story to me. And I want to go back to something that, um, that Representative Ted Lieu, he's had a lot to say recently. He's a Democrat from California. And, um, and he basically said, um, Trump tweeted, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, back when he could, the House Judiciary Committee held two hearings on this issue. Twitter is, um, excuse me, Lou tweeted in response to the House Judiciary Committee, um, some of the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee saying that they were shadow banning prominent Republicans. Remember, so Lou comes on or Lou tweets after one of the hearings and says he's a member. I mean, he's a, um, he's a representative of California. He sits on the House Judiciary Committee and he says that, um, that Twitter is not shadow banning prominent Republicans. Um, they did nothing wrong to those people. The, the ones that got censored deserve to be censored. They were irresponsible. Um, you can't let that sort of commentary go in the mainstream. But but then I went back and read, and this is interesting to me because um, once again, the First Amendment doesn't apply to private companies, right? I mean, we, we've kind of we've settled that. I mean, as much as uh, we, we may be frustrated with Twitter and what they, how they did behave, and and Facebook and how they do behave. Um, the First Amendment does not apply to private companies. The collusion between public and private actors, and this is why I'm so interested in um in tw- in the Twitter story as opposed to the origin of COVID. Now, I understand what you're saying, Rev. You believe there's some internal communications between Fauci and executives at Twitter. Maybe not Fauci, but some of the folks at NIH or CDC with people at Twitter about leading the debate or leading the narrative in one direction or mm-hmm. another. I mean, I, I don't know if that's true or not. We'll find out in due time. But but collusion between public and private actors, and this is why the FBI story interests me more. I think it's going to be pretty easy to prove that there was collusion between public and private actors. Um, that would be Twitter and the FBI. And, and I think there was a criminal conspiracy. I mean, I really believe that. I think we deprived Americans of information that they deserve to know. And isn't that actually where First Amendment issues do well, apply? Me, Section 241. Here we go with legally. You ready? Section 241 of Title 18 of the U.S. Code provides. Here's the exact quote. If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution or laws of the United States or because of his having so exercised the same, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not longer 
than 10 years or both. Because the First Amendment doesn't bar, stick with me, um, because the First Amendment doesn't bar private parties from independently suppressing speech. We've agreed to that. If Twitter chose to suppress free speech, they can do that. I mean, I think it's um, reprehensible. I don't think it's in good faith. I don't think it's in the best interest of America, but I think they can do that. But, but 241 would apply to tech censorship if government officers acted as part of a conspiracy. I mean, that, that's the language. Um, that would have violated the Constitution. Um, government remains bound to the First Amendment. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter what they think about, you know, what should or should not happen. Government is bound by the First Amendment. And Section 241 of Title 18 says that if two or more persons conspire to injure a press and the free exercise of enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution, that's the story to me. I mean, that's the bigger story than COVID. I mean, I understand what you're saying. The pandemic caused us to completely rearrange our economy and our lives and yeah, people globally. I mean, globally. I mean, the, the world will never be the same as a result of that. Uh, the, the enormity of debt, the inflation, um, the, <laughs> the businesses that can't find employees any longer because the government became the competitor to the workforce. Um, are you going to work and try to make six or $700 a week? Or are you going to stay home and make seven or $800 a week? Um, the American people are crazy, but they're not stupid. But they know that if I'm going to get paid um, to stay home, then, you know, and, instead of going to work, the odds are I'll, I'll stay home. But I still believe if we can prove, I mean, if we can prove that the FBI conspired, I mean, that's the key word here. Did the FBI conspire with executives at Twitter to make available certain information and not available other information? I mean, that is a devastating indictment of the deep state. For everybody who's been accused of being a conspiracy theorist and you don't know what you're talking about and you're out there on Mars and you, you know, reel those crazy thoughts and, and you know, ambitions or, or pronouncements in, th that, that is the story that proves that all this craziness that we believed in for several years, not just a year or two or three, once again, big government, big media, big tech, get to decide what the American people can believe or not. This story is not worthy of the American people's consumption, but it's true. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's real or not. Hunter Biden lap story. We know now it's true. It's been authenticated. There is no doubt about it. Now, now how, um, how connected is Joe Biden? We don't know that yet. I think we'll find out in January that, that Joe Biden was very much aware of what his son was doing, uh, working with Burisma and CEA. The, 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 the communist Chinese energy company that, that, you know, he got paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to do what? Don't have any idea. We still don't know. But if we can investigate that. But I think the premise of the investigation has to be the, the bedrock of the investigation has to be Section 241 and the argument that a government agency conspired with a private sector company to make available certain information to the American people and not other information. It was not random. It, it was not this story would get better ratings than that story. It was not that, um, you know, that that's a West Coast story. They sleep late on, on the West. I mean, it's none of that. I mean, it's not your typical news business or news cycles or the, the placement of news. It was very intentional. And that means that the FBI potentially affected the outcome of an election. I said potentially. I didn't say they did because I don't have any idea how much the Hunter Biden story would have affected how many independents would have voted for Biden or not? 
In other words, if the if, if Twitter allows the the Hunter Biden store to be mainstream, and it becomes you know a part of the the, the political debate, and and we eventually somebody in the New York Times says, well, I can't avoid that. I mean, I can't I can't not cover that. Somebody at ABC News says we've got to cover that, and and we find out two weeks before the election that Joe Biden was on the take, and that Chinese and, and Ukrainian energy companies were indeed paying his son. Um, to get access to Joe Biden when he was vice president. I mean, that, that, is, a, that is a damning, uh, that's a damning indictment. I mean, it really and truly is. We didn't have to deal with that because, once again, there was a conspiracy. There was a conspiracy Somebody between the, what I mean, the FBI. The, that, that's why, to me, it's a bigger story than, than COVID. I mean, globally, I get it. But I think the mindset that a lot of us have had, that there are surrogates in government stepping way out of their lane, far out of bounds and and involving themselves in the affairs of presidential elections really i mean we're not talking about perjury traps we're not talking about you know um illegal investigations we're not taking about we're not talking about um taking the abuses of the deep state we're talking about whether or not they conspired to affect the outcome of a presidential election i don't know how the origin of covid could be any bigger than that if you're an american citizen and we find out that a government agency that we are taught and trained to trust is untrustworthy to the point of colluding or conspiring with a big tech company that has 250 million active users. For Forget the story for a second. Here's what you need to remember. Meddling in a presidential election. That's the takeaway. And I think I know Jim Jordan well enough that that will be the narrative he tries to substantiate Good. that the FBI was meddling that the FBI was trying to determine who gets to be president of the United States. That's very provocative. That's hyperbolic to some degree, but that needs to be the storyline. We're going to prove to you, the American people, that your federal government, the FBI in particular, were engaged in a conspiracy to choose who gets to be president of the United States and who doesn't. I mean, that is a, that, that is a damning an indictment. That, that could ever come down the pike. And I'll tell you, if I if I had to find out, if, if somebody said, I, I can, I have the answers to all questions, and I can tell you the answer to this question or the other. One is the origin of, the, of, of COVID. The other is, once again, the conspiracy to choose who the president gets to be. For, forget COVID for a second. I want to know, did the FBI do what I expect us to find out they did come January when Jim Jordan chairs a House Judiciary Committee. And I have to believe that it doesn't stop at Twitter. Of we course just know it, it does Because it. Musk had Elon has done Musk, what he's done. Had Elon bought CNN, you'd find the same thing. Had Musk bought the New York Times, we would find the same thing. Had Elon bought ABC, CBS, or NBC News, Google, we would find the exact same Facebook. Google. I mean, the, the only reason we know this about Twitter is because a uh, kind of a, a celebrity disruptor made it his business to buy it. I mean, you're right, Rev. If he were to buy CBS News, it would look exactly... There would be communique between executives at CBS News and people at the FBI, just like there were at Twitter. Yeah, I mean, the the FBI didn't go see Twitter and not go see CBS, ABC, or NBC News. They went to see every news agency, and they helped decide what we, the American people, can consume leading up to a presidential election. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. As we head ever closer to the end of twenty twenty, what's the biggest news story politically 
uh, of the year 2022. I mean, to me, it's still what we don't know. I mean, the fact that Elon Musk bought Twitter and we're beginning to have a sense of some of the things that may have happened behind the scenes. And Rev, you nailed it. I mean, if um, if Elon had bought CBS News, that we'd be having the same discussion. If Elon had bought the New York Times, we'd be having the same discussion. If he bought the, um, you know, MS, I mean, obviously MSNBC, but NBC News, we would have been having the same um, discussion. And uh, we shall see where it goes from here. But um, but I do believe that come January, we're going to have a House Oversight Committee chaired by a Republican. We'll have a House Judiciary Committee chaired by a Republican. And we'll probably begin a, a very aggressive pursuit, high-speed pursuit <laughs> of um, of what the truth really is or is is not. 843-661-0937 is our number. Waiting on Ron Schmelz, if I'm not mistaken, because today is the final January 6th um, committee hearing. Oh. Now, if I were in charge, it would not be the final um, committee meeting of the it would be fine it'd be the final meeting of this committee but but come january we'd have another committee or another um set of another slate of office holders on this committee to k- kind of keep exploring exactly what did happen on january 6 adam kinziger would not be on it Liz cheney would not be on it because neither will be members of congress guess what got to be a member of congress to be on a congressional committee but i would replace those with republicans we'd have a, a majority You'll have a majority House. We'll have majority Republicans. Now, I don't have any idea what the strategy is. To me, McCarthy is concentrating on counting votes, you know, making deals to become Speaker, um, to not be there, as There's devoted. a lot of drama amongst Republicans in that Speaker so there, there, There's a great deal of drama, and there are deals being cut and trades being made. I mean, I got to believe that, and it'll eventually sort itself out as we see fit. But, but if I were, I mean, I'm not, but if I were Speaker or I were in a leadership position in the House, there's no way that I would disband the January 6th committee. I mean, I would keep the committee in place. I would tell um, Hakeem Jeffries, you can nominate whomever you choose as the um, as the minority leader. I'm going to put on this committee whom I choose. And instead of having everybody that voted to impeach Donald Trump, let's have a, you know, uh, what Washington historically has expected of working committees. And that is bipartisanship. We shall see uh, what this committee does. I think they'll be interested. I mean, I know they'll be very ambitious in the House Oversight Committee and the House Judiciary Committee on some of this COVID origination, some of this, uh, you know, how involved the FBI was at Twitter or not. To me, those would be um, the top issues, but I would absolutely keep in place the January 6th Commission. They meet today, if I'm not mistaken, and I, I would imagine, Rev, we'll find out whether they will take action against President Trump, former President Trump or not. Fox Radio's Ron Schmelz is with us in our nation's capital. Ron, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Happy almost almost Christmas. Almost Christmas. We're counting the days like you, Ron. I'm sure of that. <laughs> so what do we expect to happen today? Well, what we can expect is that there could be potentially some new evidence that the commi- some committee members have kind of like teased as they've been going on and doing different interviews uh, throughout the week and kind of leading up to this meeting. And we could also potentially expect uh, the announcement of some of the criminal referrals in, in some of the cases that could include former President Trump as well as some of his allies. Ron, do we have any idea what the criminal referrals will be? What crimes will they uh, be charged with? 
Yeah, we're looking at uh, issues like like insurrection and potentially contempt of Congress. I, w- I would say those are maybe some of the ones that you can expect to see here. I, there could be some other ones uh, there, here or there, too. It really kind of is up in the air right now. But those are kind of some of the ones I've seen floated around that, that we could be expecting. If the former president is charged with a crime, what happens then? Well, it's hard to know because keep in mind, too, that these are only going to be recommendations. You know, the, this committee doesn't really have the power to to criminally indict anybody. Or, but the or, Justice or Department does. Just- They'll make the referral Correct. to the yeah. Justice Department. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And the Justice Department is, is conducting their own investigation right now. So I guess this could kind of be seen as additional evidence for the Justice Department to do. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's really hard to see. You know, we haven't really seen a. Uh, a case like this that I can think of that we can use as like a, a historical uh, marker where we're talking about a former president who's currently running for president facing criminal charges like this. You know, this is in many ways, it's all it's unprecedented. But also this this investigation has kind of been unprecedented uh, uh, in many ways, too. Ron, do we expect this to be the final meeting of the January 6th committee or the final meeting this it, year of the January 6th committee? Uh, it's very likely, you know, when we talk about the meetings that are happening this week, you know, we're facing a a situation where this committee is likely going to be disbanded as soon as the new Congress takes over, you know, Congress goes on recess at the end of the week, unless, you know, this, this omnibus or the, the, the government shutdown kind of looms and and negotiations continue. Likely Congress is going home and then a new Congress is taking over. and, And, you know, we can very much expect that, the new Congress is going to disband the committee unless they do something uh, at, at, that would be a shock to people, which is what you were kind of suggesting earlier, which is keep the committee in place and just replace who's on it. That would be my suggestion, but, I, you know, I'm um, <laughs> I'm a partisan hack just like everybody else <laughs> in Washington is. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. And if we don't talk again this week, Merry, Merry Christmas to you and, and, uh, and your family. Absolutely send to you. Merry Christmas, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ryan Schmelz of Fox News. I mean, I, I'm one of the few saying that, and, and I get it. You want to move on. I mean, let's disband the committee. Uh, let bygones be bygones be done with whatever happened or whatever they come to. Um, but if they make these criminal referrals and the referrals end up in the Justice Department, um, I mean, I, I'd keep the committee in place. I mean, I really would. I'd find me some firebrand of a Republican to chair the committee, and I would do what Pelosi didn't do. I mean, I would tell Hakeem Jeffries, you have every right to put whomever you choose uh, on this committee, but we're going to further explore. Um, may- maybe we deviate a bit from the way you guys did things, but but the objectives are going to be the same. Let's find out what happened January 6th. How many Americans don't want to know what happened January 6th? I mean, you have an opinion. I have an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. Let's find out and let's have a true um, search for the truth. It's not a witch hunt. I mean, that's what we've got now. Every member of this committee voted to impeach Donald Trump. So why would it surprise us if there's a criminal referral to the Justice Department with Donald Trump's name on it? We, we should be uber surprised if there's not a criminal referral. Now, now, the one thing the Justice Department has to do is make a determination. If I'm going after a former president, I better have him dead to rights. I mean, I better have this guy completely and totally, um, you know, guilty of whatever charges you're making against now you'll hear a lot of insurrection um seditious conspiracy and all these other sorts of um quote unquote trumped up charges um we shall see but but i think it's been a um i mean i think the committee's been insulated from any sort of outside influence and by that i mean nobody on that committee has said hey let's slow down here 
I mean, did the FBI, did the Capital City Police, did the Democrats, did what, what did Pelosi know? What did Pelosi do? What didn't she do? Uh, we, we think, we don't know this, we think that she was offered uh, from President Trump a beefing up of security. She declined that. I mean, that's reported. That's rumored. Uh, but we don't know that like happened. Ask the question. Yeah, sure, let's put people under oath and find out. I mean, if Nancy Pelosi was offered uh, a beefing up of security and she refused, then why? Why did she decline if that's the case? Um, she may have a perfect explanation, but, but let's get to the bottom of it. So let's continue the January 6th committee in true bipartisan fashion, as bipartisan as we can get. Let's let's um, take the House Oversight Committee and the House Judiciary Committee. Let's get to the bottom of COVID and let's get to the bottom of the FBI and how conspiratorial they were in their workings with um with Twitter. Those are big issues. And we've been a bit helpless. We being Republicans, we've been a bit at the mercy of the majority. The majority gets to decide uh, what the agenda looks like. The majority gets to decide, you know, uh, not who gets to ask the questions. I mean, the minority is always represented in that way. But I mean, do you really believe that Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger were trying to find out exactly what happened? No, they were trying to indict Donald Trump. I mean, they, they were trying to prove it was an insurrection led by uh, an embarrassment of a president. That's what they had made their minds up. I mean, Kinzinger and Cheney said that. So, I mean, are they people of their word? Are they men and women of their word or not? Well, it appears they were absolutely people of their word. Speaking of Kinzinger, did you see, I guess, Tucker did a thing about Kinzinger's back and forth with Cat Turd on Twitter? I did. <laughs> that was the funniest thing I think I've well, seen. Well, I mean, when a man ceases to be a man, you know, and he starts acting, but hey, well, I mean, I don't want to go there because Tucker get, gets away with more than I can because <laughs> he's got a probably a longer contract than I do. Uh, with a lot more zeros on it th- than I do, but he, he but that was funny. Look at it, it was, it was very funny. I mean, it, it's and he's um. I mean, it was an attempt to be humorous, and it was humorous. But but he, he tried to make women look a certain way. You know, women are more emotional. Well, they are. Women are more guilty of taking the bait on certain aspects of behavior than than men are. And um, yeah. I mean, I saw it, laughed uh, out loud when I when I you know this is what a man looks like when he decides to stop being a man. And, and Kinziger, you know, started about weeping and crying and get so emotionally invested in some of these um, anti-Trump shenanigans. We shall see. I mean, we're still talking about Trump. And, and that's the interesting part of this. I had a couple of texts during the last break that said, you know, I'm not abandoning Trump. Trump did a lot of it to himself. And I think that's where a lot of people will keep a kind of a personal scorecard. I'm not going to abandon Donald Trump, but I'm not going to allow him to miss an opportunity to win an election that is very winnable. In other words, if DeSantis, well, let me ask you this, Rev. I mean, if DeSantis has, um, I mean, if he and Trump are running neck and neck in a Republican primary, you've got to accept that DeSantis has a better chance to win in a general. Probably. I mean, It'd I mean, be you, hard to argue. It, it, well, I mean, you said probably, but I mean, yeah, the answer is yeah. <laughs> I mean, DeSantis, I mean, I get what you're doing. I understand nobody wants to leave the person <laughs> Uh, you know, nobody wants to jilt the person that they feel is responsible for getting them there, right? Mm-hmm. I'll give an example. I asked George Rogers one day. Um, George had a had a pretty good year as the you know the focus. Uh, what am I about to say? The the primary running back in the Washington Redskins offense. Get to the end of the year, and George had been one of the focal points of the offense. Get to the end of the year, and Joe Gibbs didn't start George Rogers in the Super Bowl, but rather a, a young player named Timmy Smith. So I asked George about it one day. I said, George, do you feel that um that that Coach Gibbs kind of 
did you dirty? Did you wrong? And he said, no, man, I was out of gas. I mean, I had a bad foot. My, my elbow was messed up. I mean, I was kind of broke down. I was older into my career. The season had beat me up pretty good. I had a good season, but Timmy was fresh. I mean, he was, he, he hit the holes better than I did. He was a better running back at that point in time than I, than I was. So, I mean, is, are we going to ride the, I mean, is the loyalty to Trump it worth losing an election? Is there any is there any room between loyalty and abandonment? I mean, do you have to be loyal to Trump, or are you abandoning Trump if you agree to settle for DeSantis, so to speak? We've argued for six years that the magic potion is how much Trump is too much and how much is not enough. And it seems like we, the people, have settled on DeSantis. DeSantis is enough Trump, but he's not too much. Cruz is not enough, right? Rubio's not enough. J.D. Vance, we don't know yet. But but these other likely suspects, we've decided they just don't meet the mark. I mean, they're not quite there. Ron DeSantis comes along, and the majority of us, and I see Friol shaking his head when I say these things, the majority of us say, okay, he's the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that that's kind of the, that's the person we've been waiting on. Enough Trump, not too much Trump. And... And can there be some place between abandonment and loyalty? 100% loyalty on one extreme. Uh, on the other is total abandonment of Donald Trump. I mean, it doesn't have to be either or. I think there's a place in between that we can say, President Trump, thank you from the bottom of our heart for being the political wrecking ball that you've been. Thank you for everything you've exposed because we probably would have never known. I mean, we suspected some of these things, but you brought them out. I mean, you basically forced them to reveal exactly who they were. We are forever indebted. You showed up. We always thought we knew how biased the media was, how biased academia was. We thought we knew the hateful mean-spiritedness within some liberal activism, but you showed us. You were, I mean, you had to bear the burden. I mean, you had to carry the cross, so to speak. But you were the person who exposed everything we were suspicious of. We'll never forget the way you revealed those things to us. But we got to move on. That There's got to be a passing of the baton. And we believe it's in the country's best interest for you to help us pass the baton to Ron DeSantis. 843-661-0937. Back in just a few. The only people happy... That Elon Musk may, um, you know, leave the Twitter CEO post or the Tesla shareholders. Tesla's up 5% this morning because Musk no. uh, is getting voted out 57 <laughs> to 43%. They want his focus back somewhere on Tesla. Yeah, so Tesla shares are up about 5% in pre-market trading um, <laughs> after Elon Musk asked Twitter users, you know, whether he should step down as the head of Twitter who should replace Elon Musk as head of Twitter? I mean, to me, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's Blake Masters. Without question, Blake Masters is the guy. Although I saw a picture, I guess from yesterday, of Elon Musk and Jared Kushner at the World Cup together. And what about Kushner being the CEO? I mean, that, that I'm would, not that a big would, fan of Kushner. I'm just not a big fan of I know, but I'm Kushner. thinking what, what would drive the people that are mad at Musk already, what would drive them even more mad? Putting Kushner in charge. I'm not saying that's what it would be. I trust Kushner about as far as I can throw Kushner. Right. I mean, just between you and I, um, I think Kushner caused Trump more problems than 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 good graces by being in the White House. I mean, I think Kushner was a um, a net negative 
I mean, I think he's probably a smart guy, obviously a capable guy, but but I think he's personally motivated. I don't think Kushner is all about, you know, doing right by the country, right. you know, the Trump administration and make America great again and the, the American working w- class and, uh, you know, I, I'm NAFTA. Yeah, I, I, Kushner doesn't impress me to be the guy that has that in him. Um, you know, we can be skeptical of Trump because Trump is a kind of a mixed bag. We know that. I don't think there's a lot of mixed bag with Jared Kushner. I think I know exactly uh, what he is, what he's up to, what his political aspirations are. But um, Musk exiting Twitter could benefit Tesla, which is down about 57% this year. Um, and, and some believe that this um, uh, chaotic takeover of Twitter has distracted Musk some from doing the job is required of him at Tesla. Now, he was at the World Cup yesterday. If I'm not mistaken, that's the picture you're referring to. Um, Jared Kushner and Elon Musk were in some box with a bunch of look like Arab oil sheiks or something. Uh, I'm sorry if that's, you know, being racially insensitive or stereotyping people. It looked to me like that's who they were in Qatar at the World Cup. Not a big soccer fan from what I hear. It was one of the greatest World Cup finals ever. Um, (laughs) If if they say so. Well, I mean, I I, I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't know if I I could watch the entire soccer match and not know if I watched one of the greatest soccer matches ever. But but the people that know what they're talking about have been almost in um, unanimous support of the opinion that it was indeed the greatest World Cup final ever. So many storylines. I mean, you had Argentina and France. I mean, they're two perennial powers. Um, you've, you've had Lionel Messi, who is the, what, the player of a generation. And then this French player, I can't say his name, Mbappe or something is kind of the best player in the world today. And, um, I mean, over a billion people will watch it. I'll give an example. The Super Bowl will be in February, right? I mean, it used to be in January. Now it's in February. Roughly one of every two Americans will watch the Super Bowl. I mean, 50% of our nation will be watching the Super Bowl in Argentina and France yesterday in excess of 90% of people in each of those nations were watching uh, the World Cup. Wow. But, but there's not a diverse sports scene in some of these nations. I, you know, France and Argentina would be a little bit different. Some of these um, emerging countries. But uh, but it was a um, – if, if you think about it, if you're trying to grow soccer in America, and I've, we've heard that for pretty much all of my adult lifetime, um, it's coming to Dallas in four years, so it's going to be in America – they were on Fox leading up to, they had extra time and then penalty kicks. So a lot of NFL football fans were tuning into Fox to watch the football games and they got the other variety of football. And you got to believe that sports fans like intriguing storylines. So you're not going to just click it back to, you know, home and garden television. I mean, if you're a sports guy on Sunday and you're waiting on athletic competition. So if you think about the soccer landscape, I mean, it couldn't have set up any better. Right, the football, the American football fan flips to Fox to watch football or some of the pregame shows, and the next thing you know, they're watching "quote unquote" one of the greatest World Cup finals ever. Now, once again, I have no idea. I mean, I watched a second or two of it, but if I watched it all, I still wouldn't know if I watched one of the greatest (laughs) World Cup finals in history. I do get the storylines. I think we all get the storylines. You know, the the player of his generation versus the player of, what, the next generation? I mean, that's a great storyline under any circumstance and and with any sport. It'll be interesting to watch some of the American numbers, you know, the ratings, how many Americans were watching that sport. The point I'm trying to make is if you're a, if you're a soccer advocate 
and you want to see soccer grow in America, it doesn't get any better than yesterday because the game went longer. The fans were turning, tuning in. The American football fan was tuning in to watch some of the pregame shows on Fox, and instead they get soccer. And, and you sit there, and I'm serious, I mean, and you sit there going like, okay, this isn't bad. I mean, this is kind of interesting. I've heard of this messy guy. I'm not heard of this other guy, but he's obviously really, really good. Um, France and Argentina are not out there, you know, on the nation. I mean, they're kind of, um, they would both be allies of the United States. So who do you pull for in that? I don't know what I'm trying to say, except the soccer, you know, the, the people that are trying to make soccer a big deal in America caught a break yesterday by having one of the quote unquote greatest World Cup finals ever playing right before the American football. <laughs> right when they turned in to watch NFL. Yeah, right when they were tuning in to watch NFL. That would be interesting what the audience size was in America. And it's coming to America, I think, Dallas in four years. Take a break back. In just a few. You know, one of the interesting parts of hosting a radio show or having any sort of forum that allows you to express the way you feel, it's therapeutic. I mean, it's it's cathartic. It can really help you sort through. Remember, this morning we began the show with, I don't like the world, you know, and I want to get away from the world. (laughs) I want to get to Wyoming. I want to Montana. I want to ranch in Montana. You've been thinking about that a lot. I mean, I want, you know, all my family to be allowed to visit me. Every now and then, I mean, not 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 a lot, but every now and then they they're welcome to to come along. But um, and it's just because, and, and once again, going back to the lunch I had um Saturday with a friend of mine, the the world the world has a, I mean, I have a belief system, and for most of my life, the world has in some way, shape, or form adhered to my belief system. Not exactly, but I mean reasonably. I mean, the way I believe the world should work and the way the world worked were somewhat similar to one another. It wasn't Ken's world. It wasn't Day's world. It wasn't Friel. It wasn't my world. And I certainly did, didn't get to dictate the terms and conditions, but, but I could live with where we were and what I believed. And all of a sudden, I wake up one day and we're celebrating transgenderism and we're allowing eight-year-olds to enter the medical contract. Right, it's one thing their, when you're debating tax yeah, rates. Sure, you are that, that, that's being a fair too to, much, too little. What does the government spend money on? Is this program worthwhile or not? And I can live with that. I mean, I can live with being wrong. I'm sure I'm wrong with a lot of those fronts. But the next thing you you wake up and you're like, whoa, okay. I mean, it, my worldview is, I don't say obsolete, but it's more popular in Wyoming. <laughs> so so why don't I figure, well, but, but it's in those moments when I get so discouraged that I think of those shining lights and I think of those people who have um, just made the world a better place. And, and I'm not, well, I mean, I, I try, but I don't know that I'm one of those that make the world a better place. But we come across people that we know, without exception, have made the world a better place. And that was my motivation for reaching out to Dave Baker several years back. And I said, you know, a lot of the reason I'm on the radio, a lot of the reason you're in radio is Mr. Frank Avant. Mm-hmm. Um, what did Mr. Frank Avant have to do with radio? He's in the Pepsi business. <laughs> well, he was, but he was in a lot of other businesses as well. And, um, and when I was asked to host a radio show the, the only person that I, I mean, I love Dave, but I didn't really care because I didn't know Rev that well. I didn't know Harold that well. I knew Mr. Avant real well. And I went out to see him to make sure, you know, that this was something he could stomach and live with. <laughs> Cause I had some fleas at the time, if you know what I mean. And uh, in usual fashion, he explained it to me in a way that just made me feel better. Um, feel like it was something worthy of consideration. 
And, and I wanted to do something in his honor out of respect to him being as good to this community as he has been. And we've established this season of giving. It's a tribute to Mr. Avant. Um, it basically, Rev, in my opinion, jump in here if you'd like, but it, but it celebrates his life in a way that I think honors him as well as he could be honored, and that is giving to others. And, and I, I just knew true. him as a person who would give to others whether it wh- whether it made much sense or not and and i i, I just i just think of how generous and, and kind hearted he was and um and and I, I combine that with the fact that i'm on on the radio and um and we've done well we, we've we've um we've identified six families every year that don't have a christmas coming their way unless our supporters step up not helping me but celebrating the life and generosity of Mr. Avant and and a lady that probably knows as much about that generosity as anybody I know of is Tammy Hicks. She's with us this morning. Tammy, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Merry so, Christmas. Good Merry Christmas to you. So um if you I mean I don't want to say tell us about the generosity of Mr. Evant, but but you worked with Frank for a long time. How many years? Twenty six years. Twenty six years. Um am I misspeaking? When I speak about the anonymous generosity of Mr. Evans, oh no, sir, he never um, wanted acknowledgement or recognition for anything that he did. Did a lot behind the scenes, and he made that a part of the company's culture. Is that fair? I mean, it, but because he was so generous, it led others to want to be generous as well. That is very fair. That was um, what he taught us, and that's what he showed us by watching him. Give us some examples, Tammy, if you don't mind, things that you've done that he didn't want people to know you did. You, you, you shared a story or two last time you were here, and it just warms my heart to know. As much as I want to go to Wyoming, there's still Frank <laughs> Avance out there that make the world uh, a more decent place. Um, Frank, you would never know. Um, we had new employees that would come in, and they never knew who Frank was walking the halls because he just looked like another employee had his identification badge hanging around his neck, and, and he knew everybody by their name. And I don't care if you worked in the service department, warehouse, he'd meet you in the hallway. He'd say, good morning, call you by your first name. And I'd, I could see people walk past him and say, who was that? And we'd tell him, well, that's the owner. And they couldn't believe it. And then sometimes he would find these people were struggling, and um, I know on a couple of instances, and a couple of them were having problems and he would find out that they were in arrears with their electric bill and he would come to me and give me money and say well go here and put this on so-and-so's um make a payment don't let them get their electricity cut off and he said and it does not go out of this office and i'd say yes sir and we'd go take care of it and those people um, never knew and no one else ever knew where that money came from until today <laughs> but um but he did that numerous times and and um just like i know of two people me being one of them that had spouses that were very ill in hospital for weeks at the time we never missed a paycheck we never missed vacation time for that he made sure he said if you feel like you need to be with that person you stay with him we'll work it out and he would do things like that and and we had one employee that had a, 
a son that was very ill um, and had heart problems and needed to be flown to New York to see a specialist. Couldn't afford to do that. Frank, Frank arranged for the, the Pepsi corporate plane to pick him up here in Florence and fly him to New York. And so he was was always doing things like that for other people and he just didn't do it inside the universe of pepsi he did it outside i mean it was the community Absolutely. the boys club the ymca i mean all these civic organizations that require people to be charitable he was probably as charitable anybody this community has ever known yes sir absolutely and 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 i mean did did you help him i mean did he allow you to know some of the i mean you were very close to him i mean you were kind of um in the office next door so to speak did he let you know when he made these charitable contributions to civic organizations outside of Pepsi? No, but, sir. And then see, <laughs> I've heard that that he would do those things and, and would refuse to take any acknowledgement at all when he helped the Boys Club, when he helped the YMCA, when he found out a civic organization was struggling, the United Way or somebody was struggling to raise the money they needed. He would always step up and make sure they got what they needed. He would always step up, and he never wanted recognition for it and that's kind of how even at pepsi on a smaller scale than what y'all are doing here with the radio station he never would allow us to buy a gift for him he didn't want that y'all need the money worse than i do do not purchase anything for me so we started adopting a family or two and we take up money and we would buy for that family and tell him that's what we were doing for him for christmas and he loved that and that's how it got started Interesting. Interesting. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, we've got his name associated with this because I think he deserves credit. Uh, but he would probably be aggravated with us. <laughs> I think he would support a season of giving. I don't think he would like the tribute to Mr. Frank Avett. No, he would not. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of knew that, didn't we, Rev, when yeah. we talked about it. Yeah. But, um, but I remember I, I told Dave and Sherry, and I may have said it to you and Les when we were at lunch. Nothing he can do about it now. I mean, you know, I mean, he can be aggravated about it. But and Rev, I know, I mean, you had some extensive business experience with Ray. Uh, oh, sure, he was a partner and one of the owners of Miller Communications, who owned this radio station before Community Broadcasters. And so we were in a business relationship for all those years. And and of course, I, I admired him from from that standpoint. But I also know that that the the radio waves uh, between Frank's involvement, of course, Harold Miller. Uh, would not be what they are in this area and in a lot of areas of the state without those two. And, and, you know, I, and, and I always and appreciate it. And I just wanted to, when, when, when we ask our listeners to support a cause, I think it means more. I mean, I had a relationship with Mr. Avant, but I was not by his side like Tammy was for 20 some odd years. And I just think it matters when somebody who lived that life with that person understands in the first person how influential they were, not in advance of their own agenda, not, not in shining the brighter lights on themselves, but rather shirking that and, and trying to avoid that in the name of just a, a charitable spirit. And uh, and I want to thank our listeners. I mean, we've hit our, I don't say we've hit our number, but we've done well. We, we had a good week last week. And um, and I wanted you to know, you're not giving money to me or Rev. I mean, I can assure you of that because I'd blow it if you gave it to me. Um, <laughs> but but you're giving the money in the name of someone who I still believe had as much generosity in his heart as anybody I've ever known. I got a couple of stories, but I'm gonna hold them to me. I mean, I, you know, and, and they're important to me and they matter to me. Things that he did for me personally and politically, mainly. When when I I'll tell you one real quick. So so we had a big event at the Civic Center. And David Beasley was going to introduce me as a candidate for lieutenant governor. And I'm a nobody from nowhere. And we need to get a big crowd there. And I go to Mr. Frank about being a sponsor. And he agreed to be a sponsor. 
And then he said, before I walked out, he said, who's doing the food and beverage? And I said, well, I'm working on that. He said, well, I'll do that. You know, I'll take care of all that. And he, next thing you know, there's Pepsi trucks and there's foods. And <laughs> I mean, and, and I went out there and I said, Mr. Frank, you know, I'm, I'm probably breaking some campaign violation. And um, he said, well, that, that's just between me and you. Well, it isn't between he and I anymore. And, and I don't know how he made it look the way he made it look. I don't know where the bookkeeping went or how the accounting went. But um, he was just such a generous person. And, and Tammy, um, once again, I think he would love a season of giving. I don't know if he'd like too much uh, the mention of his name. He would love what we're doing but no he would not like the recognition for it but um uh, i am proud to have say i worked with him that long and we miss him we miss him daily and um thank goodness that uh les ward has kind of following in that footstep and allowing us to do all these community projects and and keep up with that in in frank's memory no question about it thank you for coming in and thank i do you. want to say this um when i say we've raised sufficient funds you never raise enough and i think the best way to pay tribute to his life is to raise more than we need so we can be ready for next year when it comes i know the lady said um rev's here all day i leave at 10 but rev said the ladies came back after shopping and said man things are a lot more expensive mm-hmm. this year than they were in previous years and tammy's one that goes out and helps them do all this rounding up all see i'm good at the idea and then i just leave it everybody else to do it's kind of unfair to everybody else but i'm good at the idea but but you know for those out there who are compelled to help us you know this week as we get ever closer um to christmas a season to give and a tribute to frank avant i want to thank our sponsors i mean i've got a list of sponsors here generous people who personally most of these folks told me that they have a personal experience with mr avant that inspired them to want to be a part of this. Redbone Alley, PD Electric, Florence Toyota, Mr. Sparky, Benjamin Franklin Plumbers, Trinity Auto Glass, Victor's Walk-Up Electrical, Anderson Brothers Bank, Stoudemire Dowling Funeral Home, Swap Payment Solutions, Pepsi of Florence is our presenting sponsor, and there's an obvious reason they're the presenting sponsor. But um, I guess, Rev, not one last time, but this week we're still trying to raise um as much as we possibly can if you're out there you're of the giving spirit how can they rev make a contribution live953.com is the website so just look for the banner the season of giving banner right there on the top of the page you click on that it'll take you to our season of giving page and there's a big green donate button just click the button make your donation and if you'd like to see the items you mentioned the six families the six families uh were shopping for families moms dads kids and all the items we're shopping for are actually listed. So if you want to see where your money is going, 100% of the funds are going to purchase these items. And Tammy can speak to how that's been going so far. And I know we have a warehouse full and we're organizing them as we speak. And we're so proud of that. But it has gotten more expensive this year. There's no doubt about it. So your help is very much appreciated. Live953.com. Click on Season of Giving. And thank you, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you to, to you personally and to Pepsi to Florence for agreeing to – um get hoodwinked into helping us um do what it is it started at a lunch and and i had this idea and once again uh these folks have worked so hard to make this successful and it warms my heart to know that we're paying um tribute to a man that um probably wouldn't have worn his name i think there's a little humor in that for me you know hey mr frank what do you think of that we got your name in bright lights you know and helping helping all these all these kids and families thank you to tammy thank you to pepsi of florence thank you to all of our other sponsors and, and i mean this sincerely thank you to you our family our listeners every single morning you guys have um i mean somebody walks in here last week a bunch of good old boys who listened to us on the radio in a uh in a manufacturing plant 
and they had a big handful of money and it was 1100 bucks mm-hmm. and they hand it and say hey man we've collected this over the year we listen to you guys in the morning uh, we're inspired by the story and we want to make sure we do our part and it was 20 bucks at a time it was 10 bucks but it was a handful of 1100 dollars. so thank you to people like that for um understanding that to which much is blessed much is indeed expected we'll take a break we'll be back in just a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. I want to thank Tammy. I want to thank Pepsi Florence. I want to thank all of our other sponsors. I mean, we're in the last week of 2022. Um, 2023 will be, we hope, a rewarding year. And on talk radio and uh, with spoken word radio is, I think, what it's, <laughs> it's actually referred to as today. Let me ask you a question, Rev. If the Murdoch Empire including Fox News, is the most powerful outlet in conservative world. And talk radio is closely, uh, we could argue which is more. I mean, let me ask you this. If you're a candidate in a Republican, um, if you're a candidate trying to win a Republican primary, and somebody said, okay, you can have the blessing of the Murdoch empire or talk radio in general, which would you choose? I think talk radio probably has more reach. I think there's probably more listeners to talk radio across the country than watch Fox News, for example. Um, but it doesn't move as monolithically. But Fox is pretty powerful. And, no and question Wall about Journal. it. And the Wall Street Journal. And, and I mean, I don't know if the New York Post has that kind of sway. It's an old established newspaper, been around a long time. Uh, I think it makes a lot of money. I think New York Post still makes a good bit of money for the Murdoch um, the Murdoch crowd. But, um, but, but the Murdoch organization would move more monolithically. I mean, it would be the cathedral, so to speak, of um, conservative um, speaker, conservative thought. Um, talk radio is a hodgepodge. I mean, it's a lot of this and a lot and a lot of that. I, I want you guys to help me. And I mean this sincerely because a lot of you listeners, you know, my son and I, I got my, my middle kid, my youngest son is very interested. I mean, he, he inquires to me a lot about what we what we do here. Hey, dad, I heard you and Jeff you know, talking about this, or are you and Jeff talking about that, or you and, you know, whomever talking about whatever um, subject it is we're talking about. And he is very inquisitive about some of these um, conversations we have. Um, I just believe this. I think that Murdoch has turned Fox into exactly what he wants it to be. I, I don't know that talk radio is exactly what I want. And I don't get to decide what talk radio gets to be. I mean, it's not for me to decide. I mean, when you talk about the totem pole, since Limbaugh is dead, I mean, there's kind of a, um, there's a, there's a, uh, probably a four or five headed monster about who's the most dominant personality or, or, you know, a voice in conservative talk radio. Is it Hannity? Is it Bongino? Is it Clay Travis? Is it Glenn Beck? Is it Mark Levin? Is it, you know, I mean, who else? I mean, that would probably be it. I mean, you could debate about each of those guys having a certain following, and a certain percentage of influence. But but I still think talk radio has so much room to grow if it allows itself to not be as committed to the drumbeat that I like to talk about. You know, in other words, you can listen to Hannity at Tuesday or listen to Hannity Tuesday at 245 or 345. And again, Friday at, you know, 515. And he's talking about exactly the same thing. I think talk radio could be in kind of a um, a conduit. In other words, how many times do you hear Hannity or Beck or Levin and a Jeff calls in and, and stays on the phone for five or six minutes? I think that's compelling. I think it's very interesting. I think it's rewarding to the audience to hear 
hey, there, there's people out there that think differently than I do. Imagine how we feel when we watch NBC, ABC, CBS. I mean, imagine if you're a, a left of center listener to talk radio and you feel like you're shut down and not allowed to participate at any degree or at any level uh, on the debate. And I, a lot of our listeners say, I wish you wouldn't give him the time of day. I wish you wouldn't let Scott Coppin come on the show on Tuesdays. Uh, you know, we, we don't need those guys have enough forums. They have enough opportunities. I think talk radio still has the opportunity to be the last bastion of independent critical thinking in American politics. Let's allow that. Let's encourage that. Let's foster that. Let's nurture a, a lot of those disagreeable conversations to get to a better place. Um, are we going to debate the origin of COVID? Yeah, but let's honestly admit that we don't know. I mean, Tall Radio doesn't know where the origin of COVID is. Tall Radio doesn't know that the FBI conspired with Twitter to manipulate an outcome of an election. But I think Talk Radio is the one that could allow those debates to take place. NBC News ain't going to have that debate. I mean, CBS News is not going to have that debate. The New York Times will never, ever allow, you know, that conversation to be had on their pages. But but we can. We can allow the Jeffs of the world. Sorry, Jeff, I'm picking on you this morning. We can allow the Jeffs of the world to call in and express why they don't believe Talk Radio is fair and why they believe Talk Radio is too one-sided and I just think the the opportunities abound for us to have those sorts of conversations one with another. Um, and I'm talking about the friendlies, that those who do follow the drumbeat of talk radio, but also those that um that have a different take on things. So when you look at the 2022 or the 2024 presidential election, um, we are power brokers. There's no doubt about it that talk radio is a power broker. What will GOP power brokers do in a Trump DeSantis contest? Um, per the National Review, Rupert Murdoch's empire has made its mind up. I mean, it's not going to be for Trump. DeSantis isn't in yet. He's not an announced candidate, but they're not going to be for Trump. So you're telling me that Fox News is going to be for Larry Hogan? Fox News is going to be for Mike Pompeo? I think Fox News has painted itself in somewhat of a yeah, corner. I can't imagine. Well, I mean, the Wall Street Journal, I can. Because the Wall Street Journal is not Fox News. I mean, Fox News is a conservative news outlet. The Wall Street Journal is a moderately conservative news outlet. Editorial board, a little more conservative than the, the contributing writers and the staff and people who work at the Wall Street Journal. But what will talk radio do? I don't have any idea. I know what we're going to do. We're going to allow our listeners to dictate the terms and conditions that we have that conversation based upon. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be harder to determine where talk radio stands at any given moment than it is to determine where, where the Murdoch empire stands. Um, but who has the most force? Who has the most influence? I don't think talk radio has to take a backseat to any media outlet when it comes to, you know, who wins, who wins Republican primaries in conservative races. Let's go to the phone. Roger and Coward. Morning, Roger. Good morning, fellas. I'm just riding along this morning. I think I'd make a, a prediction about 24, which would be the best uh, combination for the Republicans. They want to win in 24. Um, this is just everybody's got an opinion. Uh, everybody talks about an option instead of Trump is DeSantis. And they mentioned Haley as a VP. I would say the best chance you got to win is put Haley at the top of the ticket. 
DeSantis probably wouldn't take a VP selection, but that to me would be the best ticket. Um, and I was not really fond of Nikki Haley when she was governor that much because I honestly thought there were some things in the state that we needed to do that she was too tight-gripped and was not going to do. But I think she's exactly what Washington needs. <laughs> shes That's what Washington needs more than anything else. And I think she would bring in some of the suburban women voters that the party's going to need to win. I just think that's the best ticket, is Haley DeSantis, not the other way around. But anyway, that's just my two cents. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate that, my friend. Um, so at one, let's use this on this this graph, this linear graph. So on one end is the um, the abandonment of Trump. On the other end is the loyalty of Trump. And we believe somewhere in between is kind of the best place, right? So who represents on this on this linear chart, this linear graph, abandonment is a zero. Loyalty, complete and total loyalty, blind loyalty is a 10. We, we kind of agree that DeSantis is the five, right? I mean, he's the, um, he's the convergence point. I'm not abandoning Trump because DeSantis talks in a very similar way to Trump. He reacts and responds accordingly. Um, I'm not as loyal to Trump because I'm just not, I think Trump has a chance to lose it. I don't want to lose to another, to another Democrat. Where is Haley? I mean, if DeSantis is a five, I mean, if he seems to be right now, um, what, what a lot of conservatives believe to be the, the perfect mixture, the perfect blend, the perfect hybrid of a Trump abandonment and a Trump loyalist. Um, I'm not abandoning Trump, but I can live with this guy. I'm not loyal to Trump to that extreme, but I can live with this guy. Where is Haley? I mean, is Haley a four or a six? Is she a five? I mean, is she matching? See, what Roger's talking about is, and Roger said the key word, I think she can win. What are we willing to give up to win? I mean, that's where we always are. What I mean, if, if Trump, once again, let's say we get to spring of next year and there are consistent data out there that shows Trump could win a Republican primary, there's no way he wins a presidential. It doesn't matter what you like or not. I can see Revel. I don't like that. I didn't ask right. you what you like. <laughs> I mean, it's not what you like. You don't, you don't get everything you like. And you're talking you about like. based on polls? Sure. You're talking about? Well, I mean, I'm just saying that at some point in time, polls have credibility. I mean, I understand polls are inexact. Polls can be wrong. But, but if we have eight consecutive polls in the spring of 23 that show DeSantis at 44%, Haley at 27%, and Trump at 19%, I mean, Trump's a known commodity. It's not like Trump's going from 19 to 45 if he has a great month of campaigning or, or you know, a great month of fundraising or runs an extremely effective ad. I mean, Trump is a known commodity, right? I mean, we know I mean, the ones that like him, like him, the ones that don't, don't. And there are a lot of others who are like, I don't know what I'd do. I don't know what I'd do in a Haley, you know, Trump matchup in a Republican primary. I don't know what I'd do. Am I willing to abandon? Because if you don't vote for Trump, there's going to be a feeling of abandonment. If you've been an America firster since the get-go, and Trump's been your guy in 16 and 20, and you've accepted the practical reality that Trump can't win in 24, but you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be the one that didn't see it through to the finish line. I was with him in 16. I was with him in 20. This is the swan song. There's no way I'm jumping off, jumping off the Trump train today. Despite Haley giving us a better chance to win, despite DeSantis giving us a much better chance to win, and I know this to be true, Nikki's hired some people. 
I mean, I think they're doing some pretty serious exploratory work when it comes to what uh, what Nikki should do moving forward. Um, I know that DeSantis has hired some people, not exploratory committees, but but it would be the step prior to forming an exploratory committee. You would do that sometimes, probably March, maybe February. Get past January, get into February. You'll start hearing, you know, the um, the Ron DeSantis steering team, the Nikki Haley Exploratory Committee. I mean, I would imagine come uh, February or, or March, you'll start hearing some rumblings of that. Um, who does Nikki reach out to to be, you know, chairman of the Exploratory Committee? Who does DeSantis? I mean, rest assured, there are 100 phone calls a day being made right now. I've been mean, talking about what Mr. Avant did that nobody knows about. I mean, there are a lot of conversations behind the scenes right now from donors and bundlers and campaign activists about, you know, the appetite of this candidate or that candidate, you know, how the primary shakes out, who's popular in Iowa, who's popular in South Carolina. Um, but but the, I still think that it's um, right now Ron DeSantis holds the, the strongest hand. Trump is in. What, what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I think Trump's waned. I think Trump's watered down a bit. I mean, you don't even believe that Trump's as potent today in the Republican primary that he was. Yeah, not right now. I mean, six months ago, well, a year ago, there's no way anybody could beat Trump in a Republican primary. Now, hmm, maybe, maybe not. So yeah, that's and a, part of it is the, the, the great um, election that Ron DeSantis had. I mean, he's still the wild card here. Well, then Trump's made some, some mistakes. Sure I mean, unforced errors. Um, the, the other week saying, you know, no matter what the Constitution says, uh, I mean, that, that, that hurt him a little bit there. Yeah. You know, the, the not being on Twitter cuts both ways. Um, the the investigation, what, you know, is there a criminal referral going to be made today to the Department of Justices or Department of Justice about Donald Trump? Don't know the answer to that. Um, I mean, I, I don't think Trump's support. I mean, it, when Trump said I could walk out and shoot somebody and, you know, yeah, I mean, I think 25 percent are just in lockstep. I mean, he's their guy, 16, 20, 24 and beyond. I mean, he's their guy. But 25 is not 40, and it was 40. So when you look at a candidate who had 40% of the Republican electorate basically loyal to him, and he'd earned a lot of that loyalty, that 40 turns into 25, but that, that becomes a, a negotiable number. If Trump's at 40 in a crowded primary field, it's over. Because you don't have to get 50% of the vote to win these primaries. But it's winner take all. If Trump gets 40 and DeSantis gets 29, I mean, the majority of these primaries are winner-take-all. They're not weighted. I mean, if I get 40, you get 29, I get every one of those delegates. You get none. So at 40, Trump is quite formidable, almost unbeatable. But all of a sudden, he's not at 40. He's at 25, 6, 7, 8, 9. Now, now what happens if DeSantis says, I'm not running? If DeSantis says, I'm not running, where does Trump's numbers go? Because a lot of the 40 to 25 are people waiting for DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. Do those do those voters go to Nikki Haley? Some, but some don't. I mean, I think if Trump is at 25 today and he was at 40 and DeSantis says in February, I'm not running. I mean, I got a job to do in Florida. What he's basically saying is I'll wait to 28 and let some of this Trumpism, you know. I mean, in other words, the, the Trumpism will still be there, but but the guy won't. I think Trump, I think um Trump's numbers go from 25 to 33, 34, 35. Well, guess who the God's own favorite when a primary is at 34, 35? Donald Trump. I mean, no question about it. Do you think Nikki Haley could get to 35% of Republican primary voters? I don't. I mean, there's no, I, I don't see that. 
Um, DeSantis and Trump, today as we speak, who knows what tomorrow holds, but DeSantis and Trump are the only two political actors with an R beside their name that I think can get to 40%. And if you get to 40%, you win primaries. If you win primaries, you get delegates. If you get delegates, you end up being a nominee. DeSantis and Trump, there are a lot of unknowns, and I think Roger is on to something about Nikki. Can Nikki win? Is Washington, I mean, is, is, is Nikki what, is Washington ready for, you know, governor, then presidential nominee, Nikki Haley? Don't know. Don't know. But a lot of this would, will, will be determined by what Ron DeSantis does and when he decides to do it. What do you think the perception of Nikki Haley is as it relates to America first? Nikki's tried to have it both ways. I mean, I get that. That's a smart way, but it's a complicated uh, route to travel. I mean, there, there's money to be made in America first. There's money to be by, made by being an establishment Republican. And I think Nikki has tried to do too much of both. She, she's not appeared to favor one over the other. And I don't know what she'd do if she had to make a call. You know, I am a new, uh, a new aged establishment Republican, <laughs> or I am kind of, kind of a, um, you know, America first. I, I don't know what Nikki would do there. I've not spoken with Nikki in a long, long, long a time. New, a new aged establishment. Well, I mean, that's that, what boy, you got. That's really. I mean, the, the old establishment's not going to win. I mean, that, you forget that. But if Nikki, you know, positioned herself or articulated herself as kind of a new aged establishment, in other words, I'm, I'm sympathetic to America first, but I'm not selling my soul to that populist agenda. Take a break back in just a few. Four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. David in the PD. Hey, David. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, when I think about the World Cup, um, you've got the Davos crowd there, and you've got the wow, this human rights history of Qatar, and what do they have in common? Uh, money. Just like all these climate change people in China, what do they have in common? Money. But uh, I think you were saying, Ken, 2026 World Cup's coming to, to – it's actually coming to the NAFTA countries. Okay. So NAFTA's going to meet FIFA. So I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what happens in SoFi Stadium in L.A. if Mexico and United States compete. Uh, is it going to be more red, white, and green or red, white, and blue? But I, I, here's what I want. Ken, here you go. Who is the original John Dutton? 
Good trivia question. The original John Dutton. The uh, the OG Cowboy, John Dutton. Ah, I mean, there was a John Dutton that played defensive line with the Baltimore Colts, I think. There you go, man. You won, you won my <laughs> prize today, man. Whatever that is. I guess that would be um, – what was it? What, what did Jackie Gleason get back in the day? Uh, one of them sandwiches in a – they have a little sandwich in a Dr. Pepper. Yeah, make it quick. I'm in a John Brown hurry. <laughs> That's what okay, we said. <laughs> that's the uh, that's, go, that, that's the TBS version. The paper will be falling out the door. <laughs> there you but, go. Uh, but but hey, I'll leave you this, man. Costner, uh, I guess he he must have dances with the wolves. I guess this show is about what he saw out there in Wyoming and this and that. Best Costner movie ever is called No Way Out. It'll show you the inside of the Pentagon. How many people work there? Uh, all that, and it had Russian spies in it as well. So I look at people our age, back when they were kids, and they watch these movies, they'll take these themes, and they'll take it anywhere. Uh, they'll have Trump and Russia doing this and that. But anyway, you have a good day, man. Good talking to you. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Um, you know, Rev and I were talking early this morning about, you know, moving to Wyoming and buying a ranch and just getting away from it all. Um, I mean, I know that's not realistic and I'm not bailing on the world. I mean, it's my job to, to be active in it or, you know, be a part of trying to shape some discourse and, and make the world a better place. I'm not running nor avoiding, but a lot of what I do here is confrontational. I mean, it, it's, it's to try and address or take on or, or communicate my opinions about controversial issues. Um, and it wears on you. I mean, it really and truly, it, it, it begins. And then once again, Rev, you said it best. I mean, if, we, if we're going to argue about should the highest marginal tax rate be 39 or 37 percent, that's a legitimate argument. I mean, that, that is a very fair debate. You've got those who believe government's too big, spends too much money, and those who believe government's job is ultimately to level the playing field. That is a philosophical and legitimate debate. I know where I stand. I certainly respect where you stand. But it's hard and, and for me end to up somewhere in the middle. Sure, I mean, would compromise normally, nor, normally, right? normally. I mean, I, I don't like compromise because I've got an opinion, and if I, you know, if I thought, if I, let's say, I'm at thirty percent and you're at forty percent on effective or, or statutory uh, tax rates, I mean, there, there's a reason I'm at thirty. I think I'm right. So when I get to thirty-five and you go from forty to thirty-five, you aren't happy and I'm not happy, but we have a compromised. It's hard for me. So where do we compromise on transgenderism? I mean, let's hypothetically, let's say that we live in a nation that that wants to have a debate about whether or not an eight-year-old should be allowed to enter into a medical contract to change his or her sex. So so you're asking me to to, 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 um, to compromise. What am I, a 12-year-old? I mean, where is the, where, you see where I'm, I mean, I don't know how you compromise on some of these issues. And I do believe, as my friend said 10 years back, that eventually the line of demarcation would be those that believe in God and those that don't. And I'm not saying everybody who you know doesn't agree with what I do is a heathen and, and doomed to hell. And I'm not I'm not insinuating that at all. But but as I have done radio for ten years, I mean ten years ago we would have never imagined this debate we're having about. I'll give an example. the The governor of Ohio, Governor DeWine, is a Republican. Governor DeWine decided over the weekend to not involve himself in state legislation that will prohibit men from playing in women athletic events. He's a Republican. 
But he said that he didn't feel it was he didn't feel it was a matter of the government. He felt it was a matter of some of these um some of these uh sanctioning bodies and leagues. In other words, if the high school league of Ohio decides to prohibit a man from competing against women in athletic events, that should be their decision. The um no, I mean a conservative Republican who believes in a traditional world order. I mean, he should take that. I mean, that would be the easiest decision I'd ever had to make. But DeWine is a moderate, and he doesn't want to be chastised by the Wall Street Journal. He doesn't want to be ridiculed by NBC News. He wants to be a statesman. He wants to be accepted, embraced, celebrated. He wants a statue built in his honor at some point in time. And he's not going to have a statue built if he takes a stand. And the stand would be to say, now, I mean, I'm on board. You give me legislation in Ohio that prohibits men from playing in women's athletic events, and I'll sign it as quick as I get my hands on it. I mean, that's what we expect from a Republican conservative governor. But, but, But Governor DeWine has decided there's an out here. You know what my out is? I'm a limited government Republican. And I don't think government should involve itself in in the affairs of high school athletics or college athletics. That's why we've got an NCAA. That's why we've got a high school league. Let them regulate that. Well, they're not. That's the point I'm trying to make. They're not regulating. They're they're, they're not prohibiting men. So, So to me, if you've waited on a high school government or governing league to to require men to play with men and women to play with women. Fine. That there's no reason to intervene. But when a high school league is woke or politically or politically correct enough to say, well, I mean, we're not going to do it. That's when government, that's what conservatives have to abuse the privileges of government equal to the way liberals have abused. And this really goes back to the fundamental argument. If you are a limited government conservative, then the mindset you have is I'm not intervening unless I have to. Because I don't like big government. I don't like government overreach. I don't like government oversight. I'm going to let those leagues decide that. But but once you have a worldview and people who support your political campaign or candidacy have that worldview, are you not required at some point in time to intervene? I get the notion. I accept and, and, I, and I'm a little bit sympathetic to the premise. Uh, that's not my job. Government should not meddle in the affairs of a sanctioning body or, or an endorsing league. But, but once that league shows the incapacity or inability to regulate, isn't it government's job then? I'm going to ask conservatives. Isn't this kind of what J.D. Vance argued? You know, what it do is. we do when given the opportunity? And I think Governor DeWine should have said, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative. I believe that men need to compete with men and women need to compete with women. And because the high school league or the college you know, boards were not able to conclude that, we're going to intervene because ultimately I'm the governor of this state, its highest elected official, and I have an obligation to the constituency, and here's the way I see things. But once again, DeWine wants to be accepted and appreciated. And if you take a stand on transgenderism or, or marriage equality or some of these other things, uh, you put yourself in marginal territory. Let's go to the phone. Bruce in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, guys. Hey, uh, welcome to the week before Christmas. I hope everybody's ready. But here, here's my uh, here's my point. Fauci during the pandemic, and everybody was saying, "Follow the science, follow the science." Well, I'm going to say the same thing for the transgenders and the gays and whatnot. Follow the DNA. You're either born a male or you're born a female. I don't care what you want to pretend you are. Follow your DNA. What does your DNA say you are? 
you know, and, and, and go from there. You know, the government says that they don't want to get involved with things, or the government's governor says he doesn't want to get involved with things. But when does that stop the government from getting involved in our lives? And I'll let you guys discuss, and, and you guys have a good day. Thank you, Thank sir. You. Appreciate that. But, but this goes back, and, I, and I'm, ta- I'm painting with a broad brush now. I, I go back to Rev's point about taxes. 30, 40. Okay, okay, fair enough. But we're talking about, we're, we're talking about a complexity. I mean, we're talking about kids playing uh, with other kids and, and, and a man swimming with women and a woman. I mean, the, the absurdity of that. But, but I'm being asked, look, I can be asked to, to, to consider whether 40% marginal tax rate is fair or not. You're not insulting me. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I, my answer is no. My answer may be hell no. Of course not. I mean, that's too much money. But, but you're not insulting my worldview when you say, Ken, I want you to listen to me about marginal tax rates. I know you're one of these low-tax, limited government guys, but I want you to consider my point of view, okay? You, you've, not, you've not insulted me, but all of a sudden when you say, Ken, I want you to sit down with me and listen for a second and let me explain why an 8-year-old should be allowed to go into a or enter a medical contract to have his or her sex change. I don't know how I sit down with you. I mean, I, I want to be, I want to be respectful. I want to be amicable. I, I don't want to be that guy, but, but all of a sudden, wh- where is that line? I mean, it's science, it's biology. It, it's God. I mean, is, is it a God ordained universe or not? Once again, I don't know that God gets that caught up in 30 or 40% marginal tax rate. I think he cares. I think he genuinely cares um, how much money government spends, but when it comes to a kid being allowed to you know, mutilate their, their, their genitalia. I, I just think that's a lot different. And, and I, I'm, I'm the guy that says, no, we're not going to hear that. No, that's absurd. All of a sudden I'm the guy that's being marginalized. I'm the guy being put out on an Island. And these folks who kind of, um, these folks who endorse or believe or accept these premises as a little more mainstream, they're the ones that are celebrated. And, and that's, that's why I want to move to Wyoming. <laughs> you know what I mean, Rev? I mean, when I say I want to move to Wyoming and live on a ranch by myself and my kids can visit me, not often, but occasionally. <laughs> really? <laughs> not, not a lot. I mean, I don't want them out there a lot, but, you know, on rare occasions. Fourth of July, Christmas, you're welcome, kids. Uh, other than that, yeah, the gate has a code, and I'm not telling you what the, what, what the code is. Let's go to the vault. Build a guest room with no closet. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Here is Doug in Hartsville. Morning, Doug. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Um, as far as the sports things go, uh, I believe the government should stay out of it. I think the better solution is a market solution. Just like with people who have canceled their Netflix subscriptions and their Paramount Plus and Discovery Plus and all that stuff because they got fed up with a lot of things that were going on with the programming. They've canceled their subscriptions, and that money has made a big impact on those people's decisions when it comes to programming. So I think if you don't like what's going on, don't support the NCAA. Don't support uh, sports outlets. Don't support teams that do this or do that. And let the market correct those situations instead of getting government involved in even more stuff. But what about the, what, what about the – stick with me for a second now. And I don't want to sure. say inferior. That's not a fair word. Um, I mean, what about the genetic makeup of a woman, the genetic makeup of a man? And, and they're, in a, they're in an athletic encounter. And the man is obviously stronger, bigger, and faster than the woman. Who protects that woman's ability to be able to compete? Well, if 
You, you see what you see my argument. I, you, you understand the central argument I make. I'm with you. Yes, I sir. wish government intervened less and less and less, not more and more and more. But somebody's got to provide that female who's not as big, not as strong, not as fast, the ability to compete in a sport of her or his, well, her gender in this case. I, I agree with you uh, on your stance. I, I'm with you. I'm in your court when it comes to uh, men trying to compete in women's sports. I, I don't like that at all. But I don't feel that government should be involved in it. I think, I think uh, honestly, I think now would be a great time for a competing organization to pop up and compete with NCAA. And uh, let's, let's get a little competition out there and see what happens. But um, I, I just don't feel the government should be involved in every little thing that, that we feel strongly about in our lives. I mean, if these other people have a right to their choice just as, just as much as we do ours, if they want to be ridiculous and compete, uh, put men against women and this kind of thing, then they have made a choice, their choice. We have made our choice to be separate from that. And we think it's kind of ridiculous to do that. So I, I just think that a competing idea would be better. And people pulling their money out of these things and stop supporting these things would, would make a big difference in that and maybe change the mindset of some people when the bottom line is uh, on the line. So, um, but also I wanted to mention something about, um, uh, oh, I've lost my train of thought now. But uh, anyway, I'm with you on it as far as your mindset goes. But Good I deal. Think the solution, though, is different. I got you, and I and I respect that. I certainly respect. The point I'm trying to make is, okay, I'm the parent of a daughter, and if my daughter were to try to compete in a in a high school athletic competition, and all of a sudden my daughter can hold her own against females, I mean she's she's like top two or three at about every event, whatever that event is. Right. All, all of a sudden, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. All of a sudden, a dude shows up, and another dude shows up, and another dude shows up. And my daughter is, is training as hard as she ever has. She's competing as intensely as she ever has. She just can't win because the male is stronger, faster, and, and more athletic. So, so, I mean, who's going to allow my daughter to have an, you know, an equal opportunity to compete with people of her sex? I mean, I, I'm limited. See, I, don't, I think you can be limited government and, and believe there's some reasonable practicality about somebody's got to do something about that. Now, now, once again, some of the sanctioning bodies have decided they want to, you know, they, they don't want to be labeled, you know, um, racist, excuse me, not ra- uh, misogynist or, 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 you know, uh, anti-trans, a- anti-trans and homophobic and all these other terms that are catchwords for, I mean, it's kind of dog whistle for being ostracized from society. I mean, you don't want to be that guy. I mean, you just don't want to be that guy. You, you want to end up on an island by yourself, be that guy. Say some of those things publicly and aggressively, and you'll find out how the marketplace treats you there. Once again, I think I can be a limited government Republican, but believe government should intervene when, when some of these league or, or sanctioning bodies don't to say, look, th- 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 this female is competed against other females and, 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 and compared quite well. She's competed quite well. Um, she's the, the fifth ranked swimmer in the country. And all of a sudden, uh, 20 guys show up and swim in these swim meets, and she's the 25th ranked female swimmer in the world. And 20 of the 25 are, are just, I mean, they're, they're, they're winning by a lap or two laps or three laps or whatever uh, endurance race. You, you've seen some of, the, um, some of the videos. I mean, the dude, the swimming, I mean, that's kind of an old story now. But, but once again, can you be a limited government Republican 
and believe that government has a role of responsibility at putting up guardrails on who could compete and who can't. The, the point I'm trying to, guys, we're having this debate in America today, and that really, we shouldn't be having that debate. That's the point I'm trying to make. That there is, there, there's ample room to debate tax policy. That there's ample room to debate highway spending and infrastructure spending and, and education spending. That there's, there, you know, should we or should we not do these wonderful things for people when they retire? Social Security and Medicare. I mean, I think there's a, a very legitimate debate to be had about government doing this or that or the other. But, but we're having a debate now about government should or should not intervene when a man is competing against women in a sanctioned athletic event. You're kind of solidifying my point of view. Why are we even having this debate? Why, why have we not as a country said, get out of my face with that nonsense? I mean, it's crazy for you to believe it's okay for a man to compete in athletic events against a woman. But, but now I'm the guy. You're forcing me to have a debate. Is he really limited government or not? Is he really a conservative or not? That, that diehard conservative, you said he wants to do? He wants government to intervene. I think that's always been the strategy. To, to put forth such mm-hmm. bizarre scenarios that some of us limited government proponents would, would at some point in time look to government to solve some of the, the impracticalities of the world we live in. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. I did a lousy job a second ago of the, the point I'm trying to make. I am more than willing to argue and lose on occasion the, the debate about government. I believe in limited government. I believe in lower taxes. I think the country is better when we limit government and we allow people to keep more of their money. But I'm willing to accept that there's a fair debate, that there's a legitimate debate to be had. But how did we get to a place in America where we believe there's a legitimate debate to be had about an eight-year-old signing a contract that allows them to change their sex? That's the point I'm trying to make. I mean, I get ahead of myself and out over my skis and I get real... Um, <laughs> loud and proud about my beliefs, but that's not a, I mean, to me, that's not a political belief. That is a world view that I'm told now um, I've got to give in on. I can't, I can't remember the, 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 the lunch Saturday I had with my lawyer friend and I told him how angry or not what angry, I'm frustrated with the way the world is and I want to just let the world be and I want to go to Wyoming and have a ranch and cattle and, you know, a waterfall and <laughs> I mean, you see where I'm headed. I, but I don't but wanna, you feel I mean, you've been put in a position to try to defend. And I don't want to live in that world. I just don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in a world where I have to constantly defend the argument of why an eight-year-old shouldn't be allowed to have a sex change or why a, a woman shouldn't have to compete against men in athletic competitions. I just don't understand why I've got to do that. But damn it, in the world I live in today, it seems like it's required of me if I'm going to live in a world of giving political opinion. Let's go to the phone. Tony in Hartsville. Hey, Tony. Good morning, gentlemen. Hope hey, Tony. Hope you're doing well. First off, just want to wish you a Merry Christmas before I get too far ahead. Same to you, sir. Uh, Thank you. Ken, I agree with you 100%. What I'm trying to understand, I'm a 70-year-old man that doesn't have good sense anymore. Probably didn't have much to begin with. But um, what I'm trying to understand, like you, they'll allow an eight-year-old to do that, but why is a parent still held responsible for a child, at least here in Hartsville they are, until they're the age of 18? I just I can't understand how they can allow things like that to happen. 
take your answer off there. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And that, once again, the, the debate about taxes, the debate about infrastructure, the debate about education, I know that I don't have all the answers. I am perfectly understanding that my view of government, that the positions I hold are very worthy of debate. You can challenge me, and at times I can defend my point of view. At other times, I struggle. Join the club. But but all of a sudden, I'm being asked to participate in a debate that makes no sense to me at all, and I don't want to participate in that debate. That's the point I'm trying to make. I really don't want to participate in any debate because my ideas are my ideas, and I think they're better than yours. If not, I'd change my mind. But, but I accept that that is a practical reality of competitive thought and, and, and intelligence. I mean, you, Rev's thinking for himself. I'm thinking for myself. But all of a sudden, Rev says, hey, let me tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that men should be allowed to compete against women. An 18-year-old, or excuse me, an 8-year-old should be allowed to enter into And I'm like, Rev, get out of my face. I'm not arguing <laughs> yeah, about that. What? I mean, that's absurd. That's bizarre. I mean, that's godless. That's evil. Stop with that. But no, the world today says I must engage in that debate if I'm going to uh, be respectable, respectable in, you know, kind of the kind of the public square, public, public forum. And I don't want to do that. I, I don't want any part in of that. Fact, if you disagree or give an opposing view, you're a bigot. Yeah. You're a phobe of but, some but, sort. But, and, and I'm telling you, Rev, if, if the world gets to decide who a bigot, a homophobe and a racist is, then I guess I am. I know I'm not, but if the world gets to decide the criteria of which someone is deemed that or not, then then I am. That's the point I'm trying to make. And I'm doing a lousy job of it because I'm being redundant and trying to articulate my point of view. I am more than willing, and I enjoy the debate. But but if I want to say, get, get out of my face with that nonsense, which is what I want to say, but but I can't do that, Rev. You know what I've got to say? Well, let's talk about this for a second. I mean, you, you think an eight-year-old. Well, the next thing you know, you're, you're trying to convince me that, okay, maybe eight's too young. What about 10? No, 10's absurd. What about 12? No, 12's absurd. How about 14? No, transgenderism is absurd. Why are we even, but, but, but once again, the, the world has strongly suggested to me that these are the terms and conditions of which I must, you know, articulate my opinion under. And I, I just don't want any part of that. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. Hey, uh, great discussion as always, and it's a great conversation. But uh, this conversation shouldn't even be taking place because it's it's uh, it. There's a stupid virus or something going around because uh, we do all this stuff to try and regulate the amount of a trace of uh, compound uh, CO2 in the atmosphere. And uh, some volcano up in Iceland in the middle of nowhere blows up and releases in a matter of days more uh, CO2 than all the automobiles in the last hundred years. Uh, that's uh, it, it's, it's just uh, craziness that uh, we can regulate a, a lot of these climate things just like it is uh, – we have the uh, uh, absolutely absurd situation it would it, it, where a Supreme Court justice would say, I can't tell you what a woman is. I, I mean, uh, ignorant, illiterate tribesmen for millennia have been able to determine what a man and a woman is. But here we have a Supreme Court justice, one of the uh, 10 or 12 most uh, powerful people in the country, 
says she doesn't know what a woman is. She can't say that. So is that a failure of character, or is she really that uh, uninformed and uh, that, that uh, I just hate to say it, dumb? But, uh, of course, you, you can't have children making decisions like that. That is, uh, that it is cruel, and it's, um, it's irresponsible on the face of it. But we have like a fraction of a percent of people setting the trends for us and telling us what we ought to do, going from one craziness to another. Like, oh, all of a sudden, we can uh, do fusion for a few billionths of a second. So let's get rid of all the oil and coal that's been keeping us warm and fed and uh, and sheltered for all these years. And uh, let's see if we can starve a bunch of people to death because we don't have uh, tractor fuel or fertilizer to uh, plant the crops it needs to feed people. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. And when you go back to the original statement I made this morning, I mean, whether you're talking about eight-year-olds having, you know, sex change operations or men competing with women, big government, big media, big tech decide what the American people can believe or what you can't believe and expose certain information. Mike was talking about fusion. I actually read something over the weekend in the um, Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist. What? <laughs> that talked about. One of the I read what it. What were you doing reading the Bulletin I, No, the I was reading Real Scientist. Clear Politics. Okay. And this was one of the, you know, it's an aggregate site, and they kind of, um, a lot of different news stories out there. But, um, but the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist um, basically said, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to, in, in some way, shape, or form, understand this um, energy department's fusion breakthrough. What does that mean? Um, it's nothing about generating electricity. I mean, we may try to elaborate a little bit tomorrow, but the, the um, once again, the bulletin of the atomic scientists say it's a breakthrough, no question about it, but it has absolutely nothing to do with generating electricity. And all of a sudden, the media, big tech, big media, big government says this is the breakthrough we've all been waiting on. I mean, this is, this is like a, uh, a gnat on a buffalo's ass when it comes to whether or not this is a breakthrough that will eventually you know, um, allow us to wean ourselves quicker than expected. But 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 going back to eight-year-olds having sex change, women competing with men, if big tech, big media, big government collude, conspire to, to agree this is going to be the predetermined narrative, that then we, the people, have not shown the zeal it takes to explore whether they know what they're talking about or not. I mean, how many people have been reshaped? How many people honestly believed that, that an eight-year-old has no business getting a sex change operation. But the drumbeat of big tech, big media, big government, some of the powerful forces of disseminating information have convinced a lot of people to uh, reconsider that strong-held opinion you've got. I mean, you don't think that works? Sure. I mean, the majority of people are malleable. Most are stubborn and hard-headed like I am. But most don't spend two or three hours a day reading stories on either side of the equation. The majority of us are living our lives. We're consuming information fed to us by whom? Big tech, big government, big media. What should I believe? What can I believe? What, what, what is dangerous for me to believe? And they're almost successful, Rev, in making it dangerous to believe 
that, that a, um, a woman should compete with women and a man compete with other men. Now you get into transgenderism and I mean, there's a lot of psych, psychoanalysis that needs to be done there. But, but I, you know, it's so, so I'm careful about the, the notion of transgenderism is bizarre to me. But, but once again, there's a lot of psychotherapy and psychoanalysis that go along with that. Men swimming with men and women swimming with women just makes sense to me. Uh, but it's as simple as that. Forget the psychobabble. Forget the psychoanalysis. I'll agree with you that there's, there's something about transgenderism that, that probably needs to be better understood. But, but how hard is it to understand that, that, a, um, that, that a woman competing against other women in an in a, in a athletic competition doesn't need to be competing against men? I mean, that's not a lot of psychobabble or psychoanalysis, but we, the country, are scratching our collective head saying, well, what makes more sense? I mean, I read this. You know, and all of a sudden, I read the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist, this um, energy department's fusion breakthrough, not really about generating electricity. I thought I'd read that this was the one, this was the, um, this was the breakthrough of all breakthroughs that we've been waiting on, and this will solidify what Biden said in the presidential debate. See, Biden knew what he was talking about when he said we'll wean ourselves off on fossil fuels by 2035. He knew this fusion breakthrough was on its way. Well, I mean, we've had a fusion breakthrough. It has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with generating electricity. Let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Nick in Lexington. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ken, Dave. I was just, I think the real fight for this transgenderism is they're trying to become a protected class. You know, that's the problem, I think, with the guys let the free market decide we already have laws on the books about Title IX and protected classes, and you can't discriminate. So if they become a, if you can choose and you can't discriminate, that's where the problem is, in my opinion. Don't disagree with that. Thank you for the call. Um, a, another protected class of citizenry in, in America. And, and in all honesty, it's probably smart to play that game. It's probably socially, culturally, um, Politically, easier to go down that road. Um, the protected classes in America today have increased by thousands. And I mean, um, th- this class is protected against such and such. This class is protected um, against something else. And, and once again, I think transgenderism. And and I'm not I'm not saying I have the capacity. I think there's a lot of psychoanalysis. Um, why does someone believe they're born the wrong sex? I mean, how, how do we get there? That, that's kind of a complicated question. Can't we agree to that? I mean, there are people in this world that believe they were born of the wrong sex, and, and there's a um, there's an advocacy voice or element that says, yes, you were. Yes, you were. Well, well to me, I'm not capable of doing that dive. I, I can't go there. I don't understand the condition of the brain. I don't understand the psychology of someone who has convinced themselves they were born of the wrong sex and a society that says, well, you could have been. Yes, you could have been, but but I go back to the competition in sports. I, I don't need a lot of psychoanalysis to look and say, on average, men are faster, stronger uh, than women, and they shouldn't be allowed to compete with women. Uh, so, so I'm not saying that these are one and the same. The the point I'm trying to make, and you listeners know exactly what I. Why am I being forced to have this debate? I mean, whether or not the transgender movement in America today is intentional in commit, or excuse me, in trying to identify itself as a, you know, a, 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 a 
a, a person of grievance and I want special classification because society treats me a certain way. I need to be reclassified, redesignated. I need advantages that other people don't have. I get that. I think the caller is exactly right in trying to distinguish themselves in that regard. Why are you forcing me to have that debate? Why, why do I have to waste my time arguing whether a man and a woman should compete in athletic events at the same time? When you know there's no, there's no reason they should. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Real quick, and then we'll do our trivia question in a minute or so. From, from what I'm understanding, and I want to break it down so you mere mortals can understand <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, you're reading that atomic well, I mean, it, website. Well, or I mean, whatever. It, people like me that read the bulletin of the atomic scientists, you expect us to understand it at a greater depth <laughs> than the, the average consumer of, um, of this story. But, but it seems to me <laughs> what it had been was, mm-hmm. um, the energy that it took to create the energy in this fusion was about equal the energy in energy out sort of thing um so it was not a breakthrough when it comes to changing the way we're going to energize the economy uh you know we're talking about decarbonizing our economy i mean hydrocarbons have been uh bountiful and plentiful and productive in in basically not just providing energy for the global economy but but the the climate activists would say you know destroying the environment and all these other good things so the first controlled fusion experiment um, I mean, it is a milestone, but, but once again, it was c- kind of a, um, net in net out. And, and I don't want to get into titanium fuels and compressing and, you know, it, I think they call that ignition. We may try to get an expert. I mean, I got a, I got a guy that's in the energy business and he understands this better than far better than I do. But, but I was texting with him after I read this article and he said, what are you smiling about well, now? Of course you. Yeah, well, I mean, I was. I said, hey, man, explain this to me. Really? And, and what he basically. I've got a guy that's in well, atomic I mean, fusion. Well, I mean, he's not in at- atomic fusion, but he's in the energy sector. I got you. And he understands this from my political days. But he said, you know, the amount of energy it took to create was about the same in as out. Now, it was fusion in nature. Um, and that's historic, but it's not revolutionary yet. Um, let's do our takes Mondays to make Fridays trivia sponsored to sponsored by and brought to you by Pepsi of Florida. got to hurry here. Now you ready? You ready? Mm-hmm. What Enron CEO led to their financial demise? Who was the CEO of Enron when they just completely and totally fell apart? There was a documentary smartest guys in the room. Who was the CEO? That's the key word CEO of Enron when it um when it turned into the financial disaster it did. First caller, 843-661-0937, wins a six-pack of Pepsi product and a couple of Takes Mondays to make Friday's Pepsi of Florence trivia T-shirts. Um, 843-661-0937. We're talking about FTX. We're talking about Binance and all these other um, cryptocurrency exchanges. Um, some people say it reminds them of Enron. Who was the Enron CEO? Let's go to the phone. Hi, you're on. Do you know the answer? Hello? Okay. 843-661-0937 is our number. That's kind of a, an uh, and It's a hard one. one, but we're talking about FTX, crypto exchanges. Um, do we have a call? Yeah. Okay. Hi, you're on. you know the answer? Kathy Lele. Yep. Who did he say? What did he say? Say it again. Kathy Lele. Nope. Nope. 843-661-0937. Hi, you're on. You know the answer? Jeffrey Skilling. 
Nope, he was a CFO. 843-661-0937, CEO of Enron when they had the financial disaster. Hey, keep calling. We'll we'll um we'll call your name on the radio Monday morning. Uh, excuse me, Tuesday. Enjoy your day.